Bearcat Bounce Podcast, back at it again. Happy Monday, guys. It's a Monday. Following a week of two losses in the Big 12 basketball, but two losses that showed that there might be some wins upcoming in the Big 12 for basketball. It's a Monday where there's hope surrounding everything involved with said basketball, but it's also a Monday where things are getting better for football. A Monday where football is getting ready to fire up offseason, get rocked in, get loaded, get ready, workouts, team bodies, culture building, everything, winning, winning, winning. It is a Monday as well. I get to say hello to, to, to some frigid guys, some, some guys who are ice cold outside, but red hot inside. That's right. It is a Monday where we get to talk everything Bearcats in a special Monday as a returning guest, a man, a legend, one who uh, had, had had himself a great Sunday night as well. We're going to dive into more about that, but it's a Monday where I get to welcome in my guys. Hows, one, two, three, four total today for at least the first hour. So without further ado, guys, Aaron Smith, Chad Brendel, and of course, the guy, our own. Nico Palazzetti, gentlemen, how are we? Doing good, man. A lot better now than that freaking intro, Brian. Well done, man. Holy hell. <laughs> Hold on to your hats, baby. Let's go. This is unbelievable. You're going to follow me everywhere, man. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Just anytime oh, you walk in the room. Brent's yeah. got an intro yeah. for you. I'll stop. I'll stop abruptly, allow you to introduce me, and then just walk in, just disappoint everyone in the room. <laughs> Would you rather have that or like entrance music anytime you walked into a room? Depends. It depends. I mean, I think uh, for 98% of my life, entry music, Rage Against the Machines would probably be appropriate. But for right now, nothing beats Brent's intro. That was unbelievable. There we go. What like killing in the name of rage or like bulls on parade? That's one and two. That is one and okay. two. That is one and two. Dinner. That's one and two. Dinner. 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 That was recorded like in '92, and that is still yeah. as good and as hard as of all. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, killing in the name was uh, my right before a race in high school. Right before every 400 and 100 meters that I did, before we would go to the blocks, I would have Killing in the Name on. That would probably carry you 400 meters because by the end you're puking your guts Yeah. Out. That's unbelievable, right. man. Yeah. That, so those uh, – are you, are, are you familiar with Primus at all? No. Les Claypool, one of the great bass players of all time. It's his band. Wow. They, they had a song called Here Come the Bastards. That was on right before Killing in the Name. Primus? Primus, yeah. Check it out. I'm learning. I'm getting better. If you like a good, if you like a good nasty bass guitar, Les is is unbelievable. I do. So thank you. It actually Primus would be killer weight room music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that whole that whole genre, that whole like new metal ish rock. Yeah. I mean it is it is 
because you can go thrash metal you can go metallica and stuff but still like there's nothing that hits as hard as freaking in my opinion in in a decade plus of being in a weight room there's nothing that hits harder than rage maybe maybe the wildest uh concert combination i've ever seen live rage against the machine opened for cypress hill you <laughs> talk about that venue where was that at? uh i believe it was in columbus mosh pit central wherever that was yeah. what? well i mean you're talking two polar opposite vibes at a concert <laughs> maybe that's when they decided they wanted to be a rock superstar <laughs> it, it, it was around then it was around then but it was Live i mean large, it was literally house, like like five cars like there was almost a riot at rage and then cypress hill comes on and you know opens with like hits from the bong so it was it was up here then down here pretty quick that's good though <laughs> Where, what year was that do you like, roughly remember i think late 90s you went real quick from like the indica to the sativa, right? Right. <laughs> uh, literally, or or vice versa, I guess. But Get you, oh wow, all revved up, then cool you down. That's I mean, it works. That's, that's you, you know who now now this might have been Nico the greatest concert of all time. I've never heard of this. I didn't hear of this at the time. Rage toured with Wu Tang in 1997. Oh, just you know what? That's what gets me freaking jacked up. Like, <laughs> I I would have paid a lot of money for Rage Wu Tang. Both when, in their in their prime. Tom Morello was a Harvard alum, and then just freaking decides to be a freaking front guitar man. Like, what are we talking about, dude? That tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> Unreal. I love it. I love it. You're still looking it up. Chad. Well, why is Chad looking it up? Aaron, how are we, sir? How's the weekend? It was good. Made it through. It was we got all the grocery shopping done before the, the blistering cold came through. And uh there wasn't much snow or anything all the way out this way. I don't know what you guys had going on in Cincy, but uh we just a dusting. It was just cold. Just that, yeah, just cold. that short sleeve weather, you know. That's what we got in Cincy and Indy, baby. Out of your mind. <laughs> short sleeve weather, Nico. What's your stance on that? The whole short sleeves thing and the, uh, you know, the the chill outside. I mean, you you saw it in Kansas City on Saturday night, and then today, you know, those the guys out there, the real gritty guys wearing short sleeves out in that negative five, negative twenty degree weather. I mean, just stupid. As a as a player, as a player, I I uh, I was in seventh grade and I wore long sleeves and I fumbled the football, and I made a vow as a young twelve year old to never wear sleeves in a game ever again. And uh, for the next freaking ten years, I never wore sleeves for a game. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hey, baby. So that's, I guess, I mean, that's, that's, that's like a vow. It's a vow made in blood. So I'm a strong, but really, I mean, the fullback way would just be you tape, you tape from here all the way to here. Right. And then you just put mad Vaseline on the rest and it just cuts the wind out. You're good, baby. Vaseline, you're like a giant child, like a baby. It's all Vaseline. Freaking. 
freaking dot, man. That's all Invisible you need. Invisible sleeves. Invisible. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's the secret right there. Did we find it, Chad? No, I can't find it. I, they're making me look like year by year, and I just don't really feel like doing that. Well, hit his DMs to figure out the exact year. I will. <laughs> Either way, phenomenal little ensemble there. But but Chad, how was your how was your weekend outside of not being able to figure out the date of, of uh, said crazy duo? I, I've been dealing with a cold, so not yeah. great, not great. But you know, cold and the cold, man. Yeah. A lot of sleep, like, you know, that's, I, uh, I've been very like deliberate about, okay, as soon as I start to feel like crap, I just curl up and sleep until my body starts to feel better. So that started on Friday. I slept most of Saturday and Sunday. And then today I'm, I'm better than I was over the weekend. Is that, is that, you think that's the, the right plan, Nico? Shut it down. Just shut it down. I mean, that's that's one strategy. That, that Somebody <laughs> said work out through it, get that sweat up. If it's no, one for you, I mean, I've also my body says rest, rest, I rest. What do I know? Yeah, my body says rest, I rest. That's one way to do it, man. I mean, don't you guys teach like sleep recovery and like how important rest is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not right now. <laughs> We're going. We're staying. No, I'm just kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> I almost got him there. Golly. Golly. Well, I I mean, it is cold outside, though. Uh, You know, so I, you you know what happens when it gets cold outside? You might have some car issues. Uh, Speaking of, you know, car issues, if you do have something that goes on, trying to turn the car on, it it might have a little pitter patter in it. Maybe you're trying to drive a little bit, you hit a little, little bit of ice, you get a little ding, a little. Little nick, little nanny here and there. I, you know what you could do? You could head on over to Danco Transmission and Auto Care. Ooh, look at you! <laughs> Ooh, as for Danco Joe, ah, trying to get the hat situated. As for Danco Joe, he'll hook it up. It looks like I'm like kind of sideways. Danco Joe at Danco Transmission and Auto Care. He hooked me up with his hat. You know what? Shouts to Danco Joe. He, uh, it was kind of like a little covert option. It was, it was a mission that, you know, during the game this past Tuesday in Cincinnati against Texas, Dan Coach Joe's like, I got a little, a little present for you. And then he's like, I was like, okay. He's like, okay. swag bag. He said, he said, meet me at this location after the game. I said, okay, let's, let's, <laughs> let's do it. You know, I, I trust you. I trust you, Joe. He's like, it's right off the highway. You can get in and out real fast. I said, all right. <laughs> I said, let's do it. It wasn't even on campus. <laughs> I, I, I said, hey, man, I, I trust you. Whatever you say, let's do it. And then he said, hey, I had to drop the bag. And I said, okay. Sent me a picture of where it was dropped and and, and everything oh worked out. Showed up, picked up the bag, rolled out. Put it in my back seat, didn't even look at it. I was like, all right, I, I got the goods. And it was. I bad. hope it was at the BP right next to campus. Lee's yeah. have been the BP right next to the uh, murder is, BP. Funny thing is, it was, it was it was next to a BP, but off of a different exit on uh, 74. So it worked out. It worked out. Uh, Joe hooked it up, just like Joe will hook you guys up. You got some something going on with your car, oil change, or you need anything else done with it. Joe will get you going. Mention Nico. Mention Aaron. Mention Chad. Mention Royer. Why not? Little, little shout to Royer. 
Royer taking, uh, he, he's doing something for the holiday shots. Martin's King Day shots to that as well. So, uh, but then Coach Joe will hook you up, man. Just, just say, hey, I was sent here. Let's get, you know, $10 off an oil change. Let's get 10% off of fixing. Danco transmission and out of care. Gotta love them. Gotta love them. But Nico, man, how, how how are we, dude? It's been a while. Uh, obviously, I haven't had you on the show for a minute. So my first question is, how is Disney World? <laughs> um, well, unfortunately, uh, uh, I had a lot of time off on uh, time on my hands in December, which was terrible. The only the only silver lining was uh, more family time. And so we went. My brother in law lives out in California. And so okay. we took two girls under the age Disneyland. of three wow. across country and uh, went to freaking Disneyland. And uh, you know what? I'm a better man for it. I think I'm more patient. I've learned some life lessons. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, oh, yeah. I'm a world travel. I guess I'm a intercontinental traveler right now. So it was good. I was, it was it was a blessed time to just be with family and, you know, watch watch your daughter get to enjoy a Ferris wheel or a freaking merry-go-round carousel, and, uh, or carousel. carousel thank you that's it and uh you know, tumble ride and it was yeah. all it was fun man it was a really really good time where'd you stay in la um you know LA. what la <laughs> la oak some oak hill oak park oak something i you know what i'm not my uh my geography in la is not not great i've been there a bunch it's not really my my uh i love visiting Sherman Oaks, my wife yelled, Sherman Oaks, there you go. Okay. Sherman um, Oaks. So that's where he lives. And we stayed at an Airbnb right by him just because the whole, the whole extended family one. So it was, it was really, really fun. It was fun. You know, LA, great place to visit. Living there would be a, would be a challenge for me. Um, but definitely enjoy visiting. In the words of Biggie Smalls, Cali, great place to visit. Did he say that? Is that a direct quote? And going back to Cali, yeah, Cali, great place to visit. I'm um, going, going back to back, back to back. Cali, Cali. I mean, and not necessarily in positive connotation. Why you're yeah. saying that? But, but like, no, that song is about how much he liked LA. Musically based is unreal. Right I, now. Let's keep this going. I thought that was when he was like angry at, at someone who was based in. It Cali. was, but you got to listen to the song. To, he like put the beef aside. I like LA. Okay. LA's I Cali. Fair great place to visit but he's from new york so you know i mean i'm a midwesterner it's a great place to visit it's a great place to get your culture you know different type of people but i lived in the earth guy myself i lived in hermosa beach when i lived out there really how long were you out there for like a year and a half i was like 23 i had a buddy that moved out there and he was like hey let's go and i was like all right i'll pack the car and then i packed out and i just drove out there and transferred jobs and Lived in Hermosa Beach for like a year and a half and moved back. And like two weeks later, I met Kelly. Just a question then. How was living out there? The I love man it. that's lived out there. But I was 23 and like had disp- like, you know, disposable income. I was making good money at my sales job. Just literally went out there and partied for a year and a half. It was great. I don't know if I could live there as an adult. Yeah. But at 23. <laughs> 23. It's, it's, it's fun to me at 23. Yeah. yeah. 
I guess, I guess I'll take that back. It would be, it's a great place to freaking visit vacation. And as a young professional, you know, it's hey. a place to live right there. Though. Right. Right. Little, I, I wouldn't advise living there right out of college though. I feel like you could easily make a, make a mistake or two. Yeah, no, I had a, yeah, I had a good job. Like I was making, it was right. We right. were selling cell phones right at the beginning of like the cell phone boom. And I mean, we had a, I had a, like a 20 year old Jamaican dude. He actually was in the Olympics uh, on the Jamaican ping pong team. He's like a professional ping pong player. Yeah. He's like six, two great accent. Like he, you, he made like $180,000 a year selling cell phones at that point oh. in time in LA. He bought a Jamaican restaurant for his mom and like opened up a Jamaican restaurant in LA. Wow. It was fun. Uh, is 180 back then too. That's a yeah. It was a lot a of money. Life. A little life. It was a lot of money. Well, I, you know, speaking, speaking about you know, good little life and uh, and and things of sorts. Uh, good little life is is back in the weight room for uh, Nico Palazzetti, and and so we got to ask right right off the bat. Back in the weight room, team back on campus, team back getting better, getting uh, getting everything going for year two of the Saturday, year two of Big Twelve era. What's kind of been just that, that that opening message to the team as they return to uh, to campus and into off season workouts? Yeah, that's a great question, Brett. Um, I mean, we started we started in December. I mean, to be honest, the, the week after the first the the Monday after the last game, we met. We had a full team meeting and um, just said uh, we got to get this taste out of our mouth and we got to go. We got to we got to start training. And so we trained that whole week. Then the analogy I use, it was like shaking a tree. It was like who, who's ever, who's ever all in is going to stay up, hold on to those freaking branches and, and not fall down. And there was a core group of guys that really stayed in that tree and, and wanted to be a part of what we we're building. And, you know, the best thing about it is, is there's a, there's a strong group of guys, a lot of just Cincinnati natives and a lot of guys that mean a lot to this, to this program. And this program means a lot to them. This city means a lot to them. And, they decided to, to stay and they decided to, to build this the right way. And so that was really the foundation was December um, training through that. And then obviously the portal opens and just the day, college, day and age of college football, you have to rebuild your roster or build your roster, however you want to really look at it and, and kind of just find the right culture fit. And uh, so that was just a productive month. And so our first team meeting was Sunday, uh, January 7th. 6 p.m. So everyone arrives and our motto is the strong shall reign. That's our motto. That's our motto. And and, and really the whole concept is the, the thing that I'm most excited of and I addressed it to the team was there's two things. One is I'm really excited about who's a part of this team. I think uh, everyone here is committed and focused and a little pissed off, to be honest, and has something to prove and they have a big chip on their shoulder. And they want to be coached and they want to do it the right way. And they believe in what we're, we're what we're, the message we're, we're driving and pushing and they want to be a part of it. And the second thing I said, I'm really excited about is the program that we're going to be doing the, the winter program. And I mean, really from camp, I was just doing a needs analysis of where we're at and what we need to improve on and, and, and how we can enhance our program and what our weaknesses are. And, you know, by the end of the season, it was like a, freaking document it was like a freaking uh 
it was like a freaking thesis. Um, and uh, we we had a lot, of, we have a lot of work to do, but at least we know what, we're, what, what our shortcomings are. And that program is made specifically to address those shortcomings. And the whole motto is we're going to draw that line in the sand and we're going to make it ridiculously challenging. The hardest thing I've ever been a part of. Um, and it has to be that way. And our players want it to be that way. And our coaches are all in and they're, they're a part of it. And so it's going to be a chance called shared suffering. It's all, it's going to be incredibly demanding for everyone in the program. And it has to be that way because when we make it to the other side of that program with the guys that we have, we're going to be stronger because of it. And we're going to, we're going to reign. We're going to have success. I believe in it as a, I believe in it with my full soul. Obviously when the team finishes with three wins and not the outcome that anybody wants to have, uh, you'd think there'd be some kind of changes. Are there any changes that you as a coaching staff have decided to implement going forward this season that you're willing to share with us? Yeah. I'm open book, babe. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think really you look at the team, I think there's three issues. Um, just from my just real quick superficial analysis of it was number one, it was really the elephant in the room was just the level of competition got better. You go up a conference and, um, just the, the 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 competition level is 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 more consistently grinding than I think our team had been used to. So that was one massive, uh, one massive, really kind of characteristic that made our season really challenging. The second was I think um, player wise, I think our most of our players had been ex- had been a part of success, only new success maybe uh took it for granted and 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 thought that that success was an entitlement was just assumed because that that's all they knew and i think um that became an issue when we didn't have success we didn't know how to handle it and 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 we didn't respond to adversity as well as we we should have and i think the last was just a, was a change of leadership style um i think coach sat uh has a different leadership model than what our guys have been used to or accustomed to in the past. And I think that takes time for adjustment, but also I think we have to have the emotional intelligence as a coaching staff to understand what our players are used to, where they're at. And we really got to make um, a conscious effort to, to, to teach them and meet them where they're at. It has to be shared suffering. It has to be freaking really one of our, one of our goals is leadership through ownership. So, if you, you know, you can, you can be upset that our leadership wasn't as good as it was, or you can take ownership of it and say, we need as a coaching staff to meet our guys where they're at. We need to understand what our leadership model is demonstrated on a daily basis. And my whole, my whole mantra to our, our coaching staff is if, you know, a pig farmer, a pig farmer better smell like crap. So you better, you better get your hands in there. You better know your players as well as anybody. You got to get in there day in and day out and you have to share suffering. And that's the only way it's the only way especially in today's day in college football. Like, it's so transactional. Guys are in and out. It's a really, really hard thing. So if guys don't understand that you care about them as human beings and you're willing to suffer with them and you're willing to show on a daily basis of how much they as individuals mean to you and they as football players, their success means to you, then you're not going to be a very successful coach. And I think Coach Sats an incredible job of, of really just leaving that and really driving that message to the entire staff. And so – I'm excited. I'm excited about where we're at as a program and what we're going to go through this winter. So kind of going along with that as well. I, I mean, Nico, you, you won a championship, went undefeated your senior year of high school. You, you know, 
was what 11 and two your your first year on campus michigan state big 10 championship you went you lost your your first year playing as a redshirt freshman then you had, had success again it just continuously had success there and then of course all throughout your your, your coaching career you've had success and, and notably obviously at Ohio state just a, a roaring success back to back to back years uh, you know so it's not like you know winning is something that's inside of you so, so where do you draw the line of changing too much you know because you feel like there's got to be a little fine line there where you you realize hey listen in the past i've done these things and it has led to to winning so where do you kind of see okay i i need to take a step back try and change too much because the the way that i've done things has led to winning throughout my entire football life that's a great that's a fantastic question slash thought um i think I mean, winning definitely yields growth, but to be honest, it's the first time in my career I've ever lost. And, um, you know, there's a multitude of things. And I, and I think the, the insecure thing or the immature thing or the um, ignorant thing would be to, you're right, to throw everything out and start anew. But really, like, at the end of the day, your core values are your core values. And who you are as an individual is really the extension of what your program is. And so... Yes, we didn't have success. We didn't have success for a multitude of reasons, but you can't get blinded by, you can't allow your insecurities of losing interfere with the way you, the person you are and how you conduct your business. And like, for me, my whole theme was duty. Like as, as, as challenging as this year was, I still had a duty to do. I still had an obligation to every single player on that team. And that was to maintain the standard, whatever that standard was, I was going to maintain it. So if I said at the beginning of the year that this is what we're going to do, despite losing it didn't change like we trained we trained hard we trained hard throughout the entire year if you ask anybody any of those players we trained and we minimized injuries and we were able to according to all of our metrics from a force play to all these different things that we can test in season which is a stupid way of indicating but we were performing at a relatively high level from training wise and you know we just things didn't go right on the field and you know you can you can point the finger and you can take ownership of it and so for me you know it wasn't the result we wanted, but to allow the results to, to really fog you and prevent you from realizing who you are as a person and what you believe in as a coach is is really short-lived and, and, and somewhat um, naive and stupid, to be honest. And so like, I think you just got to be able to kind of filter that out and, and, and stay and stay true to who you are and what you believe in and just can constantly enhance that. And, and, and uh, it's a great challenge, man. Like, by far the most challenging year of my career, but also yielded probably the most growth. And um, I'm definitely a better person because of it. I'm a better man because of it. And I hope that yields results. I really do. As you talk about that growth, uh, going back to, I think it was the last time you were on with us. Uh, that was August 22nd, uh, episode 149. And right around the one hour and six minute mark, I asked you, uh, what have you learned about yourself owning your own room and being responsible for this group of men? And I told you the next time you were on, I was going to ask you again. So now that you are past that one year mark, you, you're, you're, you've been here, you've had your, your hand in the dirt, if you will. Um, you'd said back then you, you realized that you were very well trained. You were instinctual from camp. You, you had to figure out that you were going to allow problems to work themselves out to the point where you needed to address them instead of being like trying to swing at them immediately. Um, and you said you needed to be steady in the boat and, and regulate your highs and lows. What's changed since then, Nico? 
He Aaron had receipts. No. Time stamp. That's fantastic. Jeez. Thank you for bringing that up, Aaron. Because I mean, that just shows I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a thorough note taker. Like I I mean, my, I have my notes right here. Like I I take notes like crazy. Like I I'm a I'm a note taker. I'm a highlighter <laughs> guy. I'm a, all that. And so for me, you know, I, I've I've reflected on that past year for hours. I've looked back. I've looked at my notes. I've looked at my journal entries of where I was at, what I've learned, and um, that's a really really good question. I think it's funny. Like there's things that are are my job that were challenging. Like training people is challenging, right? But it's not like it's not. It didn't challenge me to the point where it made me question a lot of things that makes sense like yeah i felt very confident in that role so a lot of things in my job i felt thoroughly confident in the hard part is the things that aren't really your job and it's and you know as a strength coach the hard part is is you you you, you give control over right like in the summer and the winter those are your babies those are your those are your children those are your guys you know those are your you have so much autonomy and control over them because it's your program and then, and then you you hand that control over, and then you allow, and you see when playing time gets introduced, and you you see you see a lot of these things kind of um, play out, and things you don't really have as much control over, and uh, that was really hard. That was really hard, and and that that one quote you brought up, "steady in the boat," that was one of the biggest things I learned is is really from a strength coach one of the hardest challenges is you have to be the the model of consistency you have to be because football coaches are football coaches it's they're in it it's hard things are going good things are going bad they have to they have to manage scheme and players and all these different things and and you are with these guys in such a close proximity that you have such a close relationship with them and so when you when you go through a season really for me win or loss i didn't want to change a thing we're going to train we're going to get after it we're going to be the exact same team we are we are working towards development and um that was easy said it was hard to do but i i i, I look back and i was very confident in how consistent we were the standard that we kept in our training the standard that we kept in our preparation the standard that we kept in our game readiness the standard that we kept in our response to hardship and adversity so in that regard, I'm very proud of the fact that while control was lost, consistency was maintained from from our end, um, and, and I was I was proud of that. I think moving forward, some of the biggest things I've learned is is kind of that word of duty, man. Despite you know, despite losing, despite hardship, despite you know moments of insecurity and fear and anger and and, and frustration, which Obviously, when you pour so much into it and you watch these guys pour so much into it and you watch a, a fan base that's so passionate and so loyal and deserves so much, uh, not get the results that they want, you know, it's incredibly frustrating. It's incredibly disheartening. It makes you not want to get out of bed in the morning, but then you have a duty to do it. And if it's not you, then who's it going to be? And that was one of the biggest things I learned that if not me, then who? If not us, if not our staff, then who? And if not the football staff as a whole, then 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 nobody. And so we had to be that model of consistency. And, and that's one thing I learned and and learned a lot of. And 
and you know, it's just, it's so challenging because you pour your whole soul, your heart and soul into it. And you want to have that success and you want to give that success to the people that really care about it. And when you don't, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to keep swinging, but that's the, that's the, that's the best part of it is, is how resilient are you? How, how strong are you as a character? Like, you know, if, if I fought, like Brent said, if I, if I folded as a human being and I folded in what I believed in, then I wouldn't be a very good coach. I wouldn't really be a good individual. And I definitely wouldn't be a good role model to these guys. So I, as far as training goes, uh, it, it just overall, just on field that you saw, you, you've been involved in the Big Ten for pretty much your whole life, uh, you know, whether it be being recruited by, played, uh, coached in. Now, first year in the Big 12, getting getting the experience of seeing what that is. What do you think is the, the main similarities, the main differences, and and how does that kind of change your approach in the weight room and in, in off-season workouts? Now, in your first fall in the Big 12. Well, I mean, I was – I'm not going to lie to you. I was ignorant about the Big 12. I hadn't played many Big 12 schools in my, in my career. Um, one thing that really surprised me, I thought it was a speed-oriented league. I thought it was, you know, you had those stereotypes, right? Like speed-oriented, offensive-driven, all that stuff. You know, I was I was thoroughly impressed with just the size, the length of the offensive and defensive line. Uh, I was surprised and impressed with the length and size of the secondary. You know, long, tall guys um, can move really, really well. The competitive, the competitiveness of the Big Twelve is much higher than I thought. And maybe that was ignorance. Maybe that was ego. I'm not exactly sure, but it was a really competitive league. And, and, and I think, I think a lot of our team uh, didn't, didn't really realize how competitive it was. And then, you, you know, you see, you see, you know, you see in Oklahoma and you expect Oklahoma to be big and long, which they were. But then you also see freaking, you see Iowa state, you know, like, Holy cow. These are good looking guys, man. These are, big good looking guys that play really really hard you see kansas you go, holy cow you know so west virginia was was freaking tough so like you see a lot of these teams that you know are, are really good and really sound and it definitely makes you um appreciate the league you're in and really and and not that you take it for granted or not that you didn't train hard but i think it makes you really appreciate physical measurables i mean it makes you it makes you realize what a standard player in this league looks like and where you're at and um, recruiting and training and constant development is obviously just a big part of it is it takes continual development. It takes time in the weight room. It takes time to train. It takes large frames, big, long, large frames that you need to work and develop. And um, uh, you know, that's, that was one of my impressions definitely was, I was, I was thoroughly impressed with the competitiveness of the league. And I'm really glad we're in it and I'm glad, I'm glad we're at, and we have the players we have coming back. Uh, during the offseason, we got a glimpse of what this new this team going forward's leadership is going to be as uh, you had the presser where it was like Dante Corleone and um, Luke Kandra and uh, old, old Mason Fletcher and uh, uh, just some of, the, some of the guys that were returning. Um, has anybody thus far through these workouts emerged as a potential leader for next year and joining the the leaders that have already kind of established themselves? Yeah, so how we modeled this offseason was we we uh, we we called it a, a kind of we're basically drafted teams. 
Um, and so what we did was we had three meetings. So the first meeting was we set the, we really set what the culture goals are, what our goals are as a program, what our objectives are as a program, where our needs are. And then we set kind of the whole foundation of what our program is going to be. And so we picked the coaching staff picked six crew captains, um, uh, Dante Corleone, Corey Kiner, Mason Fletcher, uh, Evan Prater, uh, uh, Gavin, uh, Gerhardt and Luke Hendro. So those are the six. And then they picked a co-captain on the other side of the ball. And so we have 12 names, 12 co-captains, 12 captains as a whole. Um, and so the second meeting, which was on Wednesday, we drafted players. And so we went down the line. We, I mean, we had a draft. It was fun. It was rowdy. Uh, it was really competitive. We, we, we posted the results of that draft. And um, the, the twist was that we also drafted coaches onto those crews. And so each of the six crews that we have, we have a list of just a group of guys, multiple different position groups, all different, all, all over the place to make guys really, really both freshmen got drafted, transfers got drafted, injured, modified guys got drafted, coaches got drafted. So it was a hodgepodge of guys um, that are going to have to come together. And the following day, we, we presented the entire program as a whole. We presented the, the, the crews. We presented the format, the point system, the accountability structuring. Um, and so leadership is absolutely essential. It's one of our goals, as I said, leadership through ownership and 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 we're all on it together, we're all with shared suffering. So, you know, we, we're going to have weekly winners. So once once the first week of February starts, we're going to have a five week weekly winner protocol. And, you know, it, it pays to win. Right. So if you win the week, um, the weeks go Friday to Thursday, you win the week. Awesome. You know, we're going to try to give you every single status thing that we can give you and give you gear. We can give you social media. We're going to do, you know, we're going to try to praise and, and glorify winning. On the back end, as we all found out this last year, losing is awful. There's no way around it. It's terrible. And we have to use that as a motivator. So the losing crews also have what we call a competitive encouragement. Um, and so that'll happen uh, Friday morning. Uh, and so that's just another motivator as well. And so it's going to be a weekly winner. And then we're going to see how these crew captains can navigate that. Can you continue to win if you're a winner? Can you not lose if you're a loser? How can you navigate points? How can you motivate your peers? The coaches how hard you coach knowing that uh, you need to win and you especially don't need to lose. How invested are you in those crews? How invested is the accountability system? How do you communicate? And so it's a huge, I mean, it's, it's what we really need as a group. It's what we need to come together. It's what we need for everyone to be on the same page. And, and it's been very exciting to see, you know, these guys step up, you know, guys like Corey Kiner, Dante, Evan, you know, all the alignment are incredible leaders. They're they're the best unit we had by far. And, and it's exciting to break them up and make them take their leadership to different to, to all the team. Sure. You know, you have these new guys. We, you know, we have a lot of players that are new, that are excited, that are hungry. So it's a competitive group, it's a leader-oriented group. It's it's less, it's it's very um all in. Already, you can tell there's a different level of maturity, of focus. There's less silliness. There's less entitlement. It's the guys that are really serious about this team are here, and they care about this team. They care about this this freaking school. They care about this city. And I'm just really, really excited to coach them. So last, I mean, we trained last week. We we trained like it was discretionary. It wasn't mandatory. Every single player came in, and that's a testament to our leadership, and that's a testament to our guys and how much they care. And I'm excited to start this first week. It starts in about. <laughs> 
eight hours. So, you know, like we're going, man. So we're rocking. So I'm excited. What what are what what is it like one and what are the challenges when this the, the new wave hits because you have half of your freshman class enrolled early and now you've got X number I don't want to don't want to give anything away you've got X number of uh, uh, transfers that are now on campus and and into the program what what is that like initially and and what are the challenges of Okay, now we've got what twenty something new guys that that are getting started this week. Yeah, that was that was a massive. That's a great point, Chad. That was one of our leading from the first PowerPoint slide of that presentation was this. It was like we have to acknowledge the fact that in today's day and age of college football, we have to believe, like, like not like just the thought, like not just like not just a like okay, we're going to do this winter offseason program and like. Like one of our goals is belief in our culture. Like if we believe that doing this program, doing this winter offseason program, getting to the other side of it, no matter how hard it is, we don't have an indoor, we're running in the snow. Like we're going to run when it's 24 degrees. We've already ran twice. Like it's snowing. Like it doesn't matter. Like that's who our program is right now. Like it's gritty guys that really, really care and are working so hard to bring back this school to where it should be. And like, that's who our guys are. That's who our motivator is. And I'm like, I don't want to say it was good that we lost because I would never say that because losing is the worst thing ever. But my gosh, is it create clarity? Like it it shows people for who they are, like immediately. And you got to see some really, really high character guys step up and say, I'm not transferring. The school really is important to me. And like I talked to Coach Sat early on. I said, we need to be incredibly cognizant of who are our cultural pieces of this team. And who do we need to stay? Who are we going to build this team around? And he was incredibly uh, keen in observation. And he, he understood exactly the piece that we needed. Every single piece that we needed is a Bearcat right now. Like the pieces of who guys follow and the guys that – I just got goosebumps. The guys that really, really care about this team are all here. Like we, every single one that we needed stayed. Everyone. And and they drove it. They they pushed that threshold there. They made that model, and that's why, like, I mean, you can only see it on social media, but, like, that's why it matters to them. Like, Dante Corleone and Mason Fletcher were at every single freaking uh, NIL transfer potential dinner. They were the ones that were filtering these guys out. Like, they're not a good fit, or they're a good fit. That's who we want. Like, like Chad, like, day one workouts with all these new guys, it wasn't day one because the leaders of the team knew who they were from the recruiting side of things. Like, this is a team that really, really cares and that's been through adversity and then are standing on the other side saying, let's do it. Let's make it hard. Let's make it hard. Let's do it. Like, like I don't know if we had that maturity last year, and I think that bit us in the butt, but I know we have that, that adversity revealed where we're at and what we need to go through. And so to answer your question in a very long roundabout way, it's a massive challenge, but like I said in the first part, I'm sorry. I, I shot over here. Now I'm back. Um, uh, oh, squirrel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm ripping it right now. Um, sorry. I'm caffeinated. I'm fired up. Um, Do it. I think the biggest thing is I said, if we go through this program and we believe and like, not like just saying it, but if we believe in our hearts that this program is the adversity and the crucible we need to get to the other side of it to build a team because because mistakes are going to happen. 
adversity, if no adversity happens, then I fail to do my job. I didn't push this team hard enough. So for me, I seek adversity and hardship and conflict like a heat-seeking missile. Like that's what I want. If I'm not causing conflict, then I'm not pushing hard enough. So for me, like ironically, squirrel, like conflict, like, okay, I'm doing a good job. Like it's it's enough. So we have to believe that if and when we get to this other side of this metaphorical adversity, when we do, we're going to be a stronger, tougher team because we have to believe that this is what we need to go through in order to become a team. And transfers and new guys alike, they're all in. And the cool thing is, it's not an insecurity thing. I think I think I think it's easy. The default is you see someone that's not your own, you become self-conscious, you see them as a threat, and you push them to the outside. And I don't know if we ever got to the point last year where it's our team, we're all in it together. And this year, you see guys saying, like, I'm glad he's here. It's gonna push me. I I he, I know he's gonna bring value to this team and he's gonna make me a better player. And I have to work harder to get it. One of our freaking, I keep talking about what our goals are. One of our goals, number four, is earn it. Earn it. Earn it. That's one of our goals. Earn it. Earn the privilege wearing the seat, Paul. Earn it. If you want to be a starter, if you want to build trust, if you want to do all these things, it has to be earned. There's zero entitlement. You don't walk out. You don't freaking, you don't, like, it's earned. It has to be earned. And that's where I think our team is. I think it's so easy in today's day and age where, you assume because you get a paid or whatever it is, you come in and something's owed to you. And this team is, I I welcome competition. I want competition and I'm going to freaking work for it. And that's where we're at. And that's what we're working for every day. But I think unless you have that as your character of your team, it's really, really hard to coach it. It's really hard to coach it. You know, you can try to freaking take a round hole and a round pin and shove it into a square hole. You can do those things, but it's, Unless you have the heart of the guys that want to be coached and want to buy in and want to believe in that, it's really, really hard to actually get that change and get that adaptation. So to have our guys have that heart already is great. Now it's when we test them and when we challenge them and when they do hit adversity, how do they respond? Where are our guys going to be at? And that's my job. That's our job to drive that conflict, drive that confrontation, drive that adversity so that our guys, when they do mess up, learn from it, have character, and, and hopefully – Bond as a team that's combining old players, new players into one unit. Gosh, I love it. <laughs> that was awesome. Fantastic. I, Nico, I, are, you, are you okay, Brent? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm locked in over here. You're not man. having blood flow issues? Oh, easy. <laughs> I am right now. I'm all on right now, man. Hey, man. Hey, lock it in, bro. I, I I pound caffeine before I hop on these two, so that's I it's, it's, a, it's a method to the madness over here. But uh, yeah, so probably an unfair question at this point in time. But uh, you know the the fan base definitely wants to hear a little bit about just first impressions of the newcomers. Uh, the, the the most obvious player to ask about, and not singling anyone out or anything of that sort. But you know Brendan Soresby, just first impressions of what what, what he was like coming in, how he's working out the weight room, this, that, the other, then uh, just kind of just some other names, just, just out of the portal itself, transfers that, that have come in, that have kind of caught the eye, you know, first impression base. Yeah, well, Soresby is ridiculously impressive. Uh, he's a tough guy. He's tough. Um, you know, he played with a banged-up shoulder last year and just embraced it, leaned into it. Tough guy, big frame, loves to train wants to do extra. I mean, he's been thrown on his own out in the snow with our wideouts and, and 
our quarterback unit as a whole has really embraced where our team's at. And, and, and you know, him and Lichtenberg are going to duel it out. And I'm really excited about those two guys because they're both, like I talked about earlier, they're both going to bring out the best from one another. And then neither of them are scared or intimidated of competition, which is so rare in today's day and age of college football. Everyone's entitled to a starting position. Everyone's entitled to money. And for guys that want to duke it out, that want to freaking compete, it's awesome. So Soresby's been incredible to train, uh, is all in. He's been texting, calling, uh, giving me updates about what his thoughts are on the workouts, how hard they were, how he loves it. Uh, and so he he is a guy that loves the train, that loves the grit of it, that loves the toughness. He's a perfect embodiment of this city and the school. So he's fantastic. Um, you know, uh, I, I got to know those three Ohio State transfers uh, just through my last employment. And uh, there are three incredibly great guys, man. Kai Stokes, Joe Royer, Evan Pryor are just two or three great human beings that are really talented and then address needs that we have on this team. And so I, I'm I'm thrilled to watch them play. I'm thrilled to watch them, them contribute. And they're high character guys. So um, I was really hopeful that those guys would come. And I was really, really swinging for those guys and really just, I mean, I know the value they could provide and the fact that they're here is is all UC fans should be freaking so thrilled for that. Um, then you got high-end guys, man. I mean, you, you there's a the, the best thing about it was, you know, you talk to these guys and they're just they're mature. They want what they want, and they're here because they want to provide a value to the school and they want to help the school and they want to contribute with playing time and and leadership. And they're all in. And so, just I'm really excited. And I don't want to give too many names right now just because it's so early. But I mean. Shoot, I, I I'm just so thoroughly impressed. I was I was impressed with meeting them on their freaking uh, on their visits. I was impressed with the way their families communicated. I was I was impressed with their commitment level. Um, and then now watching them train, and they're still trickling in. Um, you know they they should all be in by the end of next week or end of this week, excuse me. But um, it's just it's so exciting to watch these guys come in and just take coaching. And you know, uh, one of one of the lines in our presentation was you know. If you can't be coached, you cannot improve and you provide no value to this team. Like, that's it. So we're looking for guys that want to be coached. And I asked them, I'm like, I, I've met with every single player, every single player. And, and by the end of this week, I'll have met with every player. Um, and the only question I ask, I ask, what do you want? Like, what do you want? I show them what they wrote. If they were here, I show them what they wrote for last summer. Like, these were your summer goals. What do you want? Like, if you say you want this, if you say you want this, then that means that I have to coach you to a level that matches this expectation. So you told me you want to be all conference. Do you understand the commitment of that? You told me we want to freaking win the Big 12 as a team. Do we understand how good and how tight of a team we have to be? Do you understand what we have to go through in order to get to that point? If the answer is yes, then I'm going to hold you to that standard. And just so you know, that's going to be very uncomfortable. And I'm really excited about the seriousness of this team. There's no slappiness. There's no goofiness. There's no, because it's so easy, right? It's so, everyone wants to become a dude. Everyone wants to be, reach a status. Like everyone wants to be respected or a leader, however you want to word it. And the misconception is once you reach that level of dudeness, then you can do whatever you want. You made it. You're a made man. So if a coach tells you to run off the field, you can kind of draw or you can kind of walk. It doesn't matter. If a coach tells you to do this, uh, you know, I got it. I can do this scheme on my own because I, I'm a dude. I, you know, I'm untouchable. The reality are the best teams on the very best teams, the most talented players are the hardest workers and the best leaders, which means that they have to do everything perfect. That's the standard.
So if you're going to say that I want to be one of the best leaders, I want to be the most talented player that I think that I deserve to be a leader or a captain or a starter on this team, then you are assuming the responsibility of doing everything perfect. That's what the expectation is. And that's a massive responsibility. And then that holds you to a standard of training that demands hard coaching has to. So the misconception is once I reach a level, I'm good. I'm set. No, once you reach a level, you're coached harder than you've ever been coaching your entire career because that's what we expect from you. And if we believe that coaching you to that standard and holding you up to that standard, that's going to trickle down to everybody else. And that's what we didn't have last year that I'm working really hard to get to this year. We, we have to let you go. <laughs> we, we have to let you go in a second because you got to get some sleep. You got an early morning tomorrow. But uh, one more before I let you go. Brent might have Brent. Brent's always got one more. I actually so. have two from Royer. So, okay. Well, one more quick one for me. What What are the challenges when you replace a new coordinator midstream? Uh, Brian Brown headed back home uh, to Ole Miss, where he graduated. You can never fault a guy. For, for making that move. Everybody wants UC guys to come back and coach at UC. Right. But you can't be mad when when a guy that, that graduated from Ole Miss goes back to Ole Miss. But what are the challenges for you uh, when such an important position and such an important cog in the program changes? That's a great question, Chad. For me, when I heard the news, the first thing I thought was just how deep Coach Brown's relationships are with a lot of these guys, namely on the defense. And so for me, my job, I felt like, was reaching out to all those players that I knew he was really close with. Um, and, um, you know, Coach Brown is a, is a, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a paternal figure to a lot of these players. And, I, you know, that's a void besides being a great, you know, coach. He, he's, a, he's a mentor to these guys, a father figure to a lot of these guys. And so not that I would assume that role, but just knowing that I understand that relationship, I understand how much he means to them and I'm here for them and to help them through this process of, you know, you know, losing that, but also when we bring in the coach, it's going to be the right coach and he's going to drive and make this defense as good as it could be. Um, and so just, just providing that, that shoulder, that support system, but also that encouragement saying, you know what, we have to acknowledge that, you know, a, a, a vocal presence on this team is no longer here, a guy that everyone respected, but we have to look forward to the future and we have to use this to just get tighter than ever from a player standpoint and then trust, that who's coming in is going to be the best fit for us. I think too many people take like, like we're going to just ignore it route. You know what I mean? Like everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Uh, I, I think it's much better to handle it head on. Yeah. I, I told, <laughs> I told the guys in our team meeting, I said, I, I don't know if it's a, uh, it's an emotional stuntness or what, whatever it is, if I need to see a psychiatrist about it, but, I don't do well at looking the other way. Like I don't heal that way. And I said, the only way out of it is through it. So like from everything from last year, like you can't, you can't hide from it. You have to look at it head on, bow up your neck and run through it. And that's kind of been my approach my entire life. And I couldn't agree more. Whenever there's something, whenever there's an elephant in the room, I'm always that obnoxious guy that just addresses it because that has to be addressed. And the only way, the only way freaking out of this shittiness or this uncomfortableness or this uneasiness is through it. And so that's, that's the approach I'm definitely taking. I tell my girlfriend that good, good point. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, you got anything, uh, so anything left for Nika before I dive into Royer? No, man, go ahead. <laughs> All right. From Ryan Royer himself, Mr. Bearcat. 
uh, circa two, 2021, if you didn't know. Uh, the the legend couldn't be here tonight, but uh, he, he did uh, have a couple questions. First, if there's anything that you've learned about the team from the first offseason through the season that you think can directly in that you can directly input to your offseason program that will have the largest impact on the team's development. Yeah, that's a great question. Well done, Ryan. That's why Ryan's face is everywhere all over campus. FYI, to all those all the listeners out there, the guy is very influential and clearly that question shows why. Um I mean not to not to go down a tangent that we already talked about as far as yeah what you learn and how you address needs analysis and how you shape a program off that. Um, I definitely think really our, 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 I mean, I've been referencing it throughout the entire presentation, but I mean, our, our goals are number one, um, uh, really just Bearcats first is our first goal. So Bearcats first team first, but making sure that that perception is, is constantly focused on. And I think selfishness beat us last year and, and using, a team first mentality and everything that we do has to be essential. Number two is pride in our culture. Um, we have to take pride in what our culture is. It has to be more than just wallpaper and, and signage. It has to come live to us. And we have a lot of strategies for that. Um, number three is uh, owner, a leadership through ownership, which I talked about. Number four is earn it. Number five is coachability and discipline. And so those are our five goals. And, and, and we learn those five goals literally by analyzing everything and looking at everything and, having a lot of sleepless nights and and really trying to just drive deep and understand where our team's at and how how can we structure our offseason to address those needs. The next, any new finishers that you've brainstormed for winter Friday workouts? I have like I told you, I got I'm a thorough Nate note taker. If you if you yes, to answer his question, yes. I'm not gonna give them away, but yeah, there's starters, there's finishers, there's appetizers, there's there's competition up the wazoo. Everything's themed on being as miserable and challenging and competitive as possible. And then the strong shall reign, man. Those that love it, those that embrace it, which I think this team really does. We'll find out. Stay tuned. We'll find out. Um, but it's exciting, man. Yeah, absolutely. My last what, one. What we need at some point next, though, is like, you know, if there is a guy, a couple guys not carrying their weight, next time you come on, you'll be like, look, man, this guy needs to get his shit together. <laughs> <laughs> Just blast him. Just blast yeah. him all over the freaking <laughs> You said you wanted to make him uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Public ridicule. <laughs> we'll, do a, we'll do a weekly five-minute segment, uh, who needs to get it together, and you just pop on for five minutes every Monday, and you'd be like, "Like, look, this week, this guy's not carrying his weight. He needs to get Nico's knocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just go on a tirade for five minutes. Just make everyone uncomfortable. Everyone's looking around going, oh, my gosh, dude. I think it'd be perfect. I, I, Michigan all sudden, native. All of a sudden, we magically have 105 new listeners every Monday night at <laughs> yeah. 835. Everyone's going out. Everyone's well, waiting for Tuesday morning to just hide in shame. <laughs> Twitters are blown up. I Zach love never lets another coach come on with us again. I'm out of a job. But, uh, Michigan native, Nico. How awesome is it for the Lions? First off, second off. Looks looks like maybe Tampa Bay at home. Another home game, potentially. 
I'm sorry. Malik Van just texted me. So I thought Malik Van was going to support the whole thing. Malik <laughs> Van, I thought Malik Van was like, yeah, lay him out. Uh, sorry. Um, um, I apologize. There's a I'm decent a chance he's in here watching. There's a uh, decent I hope chance. So. He's, he's training out in Charlotte right now. So hopefully he's asleep, but you never know that guy. He's the best. I love Malik. Lions. Talk about the Lions. Lions. Talk about the Lions. I'm sorry, Brett. I, We're ending on a happy high note. That's it. Talk about the Lions and what it means. No, no, how excited you are. Maybe a potential second home game next week with the way that the current game's going on right now. I mean, that's that's excitement for you. Um, it is, you know, and I don't want to date, I don't want to date myself nor the Lions, but I have not been alive since the Lions won a playoff game, um, no. which is ridiculous. Uh so I mean, my dad was born the last time they won a championship. 1957 so it is a uh for them to win and you see tears like those are legit tears of people that are incredibly proud of their team and so i grew up and i knew i knew a phrase called gdl the god lions and that was how i watched sundays which was the gdls man the gdls and that's all i knew as a kid growing up and uh the fact that they want a playoff game and they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be a home team again I'm really happy for that organization. I'm happy for all my friends who have season tickets and uh and they're expensive right now, man. They're going for like two grand a piece. So I mean, good for them, good for that city. Yeah. Let's 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 hope there's no lions on Nico's Knox next uh, Monday night. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Here we go. Here we go. Nothing else, guys. We say goodbye. Yeah, but he told us to get him out by nine. It's nine oh nine. So you guys are too good to me, man. Hey guys, I just thank you guys. I just want to just thank you guys. I know obviously last year wasn't what we all wanted, but the fact that you guys have supported me throughout this past year and the fact that this fan base has been as supportive as they are on social media and just to my face and just a testament to who you guys are as a fan base and to who you guys are as as members of the media of that fan base. I just I can't thank you enough and I'm incredibly grateful that you guys had me on. When you come back, uh, Brady whenever, I, was on, whenever I get the text from Big Chad, man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Brady was on every two weeks, so we'll see you on the 29th. <laughs> I'll be here, man. I appreciate <laughs> you guys a lot. Thanks, brother. You guys are the best. Thank you, guys. All right, Nico. Thanks, brother. Boom. All right, Nico. great show. Nico Palazzetti. Gosh. Great show. See you guys. Uh, see you guys next week. Yeah, well, that was BBP here <laughs> on BreakDownJournal.com. See ya. We'll, ta- we'll timestamp that, boy. The Quick Paper Supply timestamp, your local and family-owned restaurant supply company for all your non-food products, Quick Paper Services, 150 restaurants with weekly low-minimum next-day deliveries. They provide a wide range of food service products from to-go containers, cups, custom-printed products, eco-friendly, and much more. They also have cleaning and restroom supplies for all your janitorial needs. Call Nick. Not Nico, call Nick at 513-470-2029 and reference Bearcats for 20% off your first month of purchases. We'll see how I'm going to do the rest. Like, my voice is, is, I did three hours of radio today. I'm fading. I can I can feel it. Does it sound like I'm fading? It feels like I'm fading. Not bad. We gave you most of that hour off. Yeah, that was by design. Well, one... I know all Brent, like Brent wanted an hour with Nico. And so you did a nice job filling in the gas there. Right. But we just let Brent, let Brent cook. 
Uh, hey, Aaron, I tried to save myself. Don't, I know. Don't you guys must be great. That's what I said. Aaron filled in, like, and got some good stuff in, and you, you guys did great. I, I didn't. You know me. If I felt like I needed to be around more, I would have been around more. But you guys, we even get, we even get to the to incoming freshmen. I know. I, like, well, I well figured, let's give them I figured a couple on the more next weeks. show. Yeah. yeah, that's why I said you know it's probably unfair to ask this early because. I mean, I mean, like you're literally getting first impressions. I, I, I can't wait to hear the the list of co captains and who, what coaches. Are, I wonder how much he's, information he's going to give us on these these teams, or or if it's going to if they're going to keep that all in house. I'm all in for it. I'm all in. For it. I, I guess we'll find out when when winners are starting to be announced on social media, but I want to know before that. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Nico Knox. We'll have to. Maybe we'll hear hear from those like maybe like a day that like one team beats the other or like one team drops one of their players or something. We'll call it like Nico's knockouts, and then he will come on and tell us about it on the Monday or something. Go from there. But no, I I'm excited to have him back on because uh, as you said, Chad, there's what 40 plus new new faces that are going to be coming into the program and gonna get yeah, I mean, here. yeah, um, roughly, yeah. But only half of them are the high school. Only half of the high school kids are here now. Uh, high school's right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, I was no. just, I was more talking about like the it was eleven or twelve something like that. 10, 11, 12. Yeah, yeah. I got the list early. pulled up. I was, you know, it's yeah. it's funny. We have we have Brady on. We had Brady on so often back in the day where like like each show we could kind of like pinpoint. All right, let's ask you about these five guys. Let's ask right. about these five guys on the next show with with Nico. We I I mean like. We did everything right there, and then and then hopefully we'll have Nico back on and kind of get a little bit more of an update on the personnel and and different things of that sort. But uh, I, I guess let's let's stick and wrap wrap up football. Um, obviously, it's defensive coordinator talk right now is uh, what is surrounding the side of, of of the Bearcats, and you know I don't think Chad there's been a like a nightcap or anything of that sort that kind of touched on this. I. Obviously, Brian Brown, you you mentioned going back to his alma mater at Ole Miss. It probably seems like a a situation where if this opened up, if an opportunity presented itself, then there's a good chance that Brown would would head that way. I'm sure that's probably something that uh, Coach Satterfield understood going into his relationship with Brown that has lasted for a long, long time. And then the opportunity presented itself, and now uh, – the, the search for the next defensive coordinator opens up. Um, it, it, actually, on, on it, it actually sounded like the D.C. at Ole Miss tried to make this happen last year also. Oh, really? Wow. And he turned that down to come with Satterfield and, and be the defensive coordinator. And I guess they just went to the level of, look, <laughs> here, yeah. you can't say no to this. Come back home. Right. Um, so more power to him. Um, but it's going to be interesting. Like coaches initially, when they, when they build their first staff, it is almost always very much in their comfort zone. Right. And then once they find that comfort zone, you'll see them be at least a little more opening open to, uh, somebody else or, or, you know, opening up the lens to look a little wider yeah. Uh, on, a, on a staff search. But one thing I will say, like if you pay attention to these Appalachian State guys, 
that is as tight knit a web as you will find. Yeah. So, because there's know, nothing makes... else to do out there than get to know the people <laughs> who are around. It's impossible to have cell phone service out there. I don't know if they even have Wi Fi, Ethernet run all the way out there. Like, you're doing everything with can and string. Of course, they get to know everybody out there. Right. Right. So, those guys have all been incredibly tight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that necessarily means that it that it's a hundred percent going to be someone from that tree, if you will. But like, it makes sense because it's it's what they're comfortable with. It's what they know, and they've all stuck together uh, throughout. You know, whatever the they've got a pretty big coaching tree, really bigger than yeah. you would think. Um, yeah. Like Aaron said, what else is there? You play football and then you get into coaching uh, at Appalachian State and then hike in the mountains. <laughs> Camp that. I, Camp. I mean, that probably explains the why it's taking a little. You know, it's, there's not like an exact answer right away because you know they're talking through a can. And it has to go all the way through the string, <laughs> get out there to let them know that we're interested. But um, carrier pigeon, like, Brent. No, it's right, carrier right, pigeon. Right. Some, they, yeah, they or, put the little note on yeah. the pigeon's back, and they're like, uh, and sure, then next right. thing you know, the, the pigeon's in Texas. Do they use like a bald eagle? I don't think there's pigeons out there in, in Appalachia <laughs> or what exactly there is. But um, do you have any sense of a, of a timeline for this? I, obviously, it's it's hard to get news at this juncture. Um, but No, it's usually know. pretty expected that at this point in time of the year, like yeah. once that first cycle closes, then you know changes start happening. Um, I mean, I'm sure they would like to get it wrapped up as quick as possible, but yeah. you're not in. You know, the portal's closed, high school recruiting's closed. The only thing else you have right now is right. that second uh, high school window. window. Oh, high school window. No, high school window. What is the second um, portal in, window? Uh, that's in the spring. So, like right after spring oh, okay. practice. Okay. So the only other thing really coming up is the second, and I mean, I like I know of one guy that really they would like to add like in that window. So I don't think that's like a major. I'm just saying that's right. the only other thing right now before you get to spring practice and then the second transfer window. So you're you're not like in a race to make a decision. So right. you can do your due diligence and and bring guys to campus for interviews and you know kind of handle things that way first. Yeah. Just in case you guys were wondering, because I'm sure you were, I just fell down this rabbit hole. Uh, the French military still uses carrier pigeons, as does one region of India, as an important form of backup communication in case of natural disaster. You're welcome. Wow. How do they know? Look, How do pigeons know where to go? I don't know. That's I, what I, I wanted. I didn't go that deep down the rabbit hole, but I, I did want you to know that they are still a thing. And they watch just... Game of Thrones and they watch uh, Harry Potter. They say, "Hey, we got to learn this." And it's, it's studying tape—that's what it's about. Yeah, but I think about it. They literally just write a note, tie it to the back of a pigeon, and the pigeon is like, "I got you, I got you, dog." Hey, man. And the guy's like 6647 Middlebrook Lane. Da 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 da. The pigeon's like, <laughs> off it goes. Well, they don't have a posable thumb. Oh, they, so I don't know how they, they watched God Wick, probably. And, and they're like, all right, this is how I got to learn these, the pigeons. But uh, 
Oh, very nice, Jason Cooper. The Mike Tyson reference with the pigeons come up, like the uh, now Kith, like the you know that meme. That's a great meme. Um, but kind of kind of wrap this up real real quick because I want to touch on basketball and then uh, we'll we'll dive into the mailbag. But uh, I, I, I guess when it when it comes to the transfer portal, it's only head coaches leaving where there's that thirty day window, right? It doesn't correct trickle down the coordinators. Yeah. No, so God, no. there's right. No, that would be. Crazy. <laughs> Fucking chaos. Right. Absolute right. chaos. If they right. allow, so, like, my position coach left so I can enter the portal for 30 days. Nah, <laughs> fam. No. Nah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Cannot do that. But, yeah, I, I, I guess obviously that'll be something that there's time to uh, to come up with. And then I think spring practice doesn't start until end of February, early March. So, I, I, I mean, there's a lot of time between now and then for uh, for things to be calculated and figured out what is going on. Um, the, the the hot board is up on the website. Uh, you don't have to mention any names if you don't want to, but is, is there any that you think should be added or should be removed since you've last heard from Friday? Um, or, do you, or do you think it's kind of right. steady throughout what's on the thread? When there is new information, it'll be updated. Right. That's how hot boards work. I, Keegan, Keegan had that. How often do you want me to update it when we have new information? Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't update it with no updates. You want to piss people off? Yeah, we have an updated hot board, and it's just the same thing that you had three days ago. <laughs> different, but same, same, but still different. It's it's the Spider Man meme pointing at each other. Hey, it, it would get some clicks. Uh, yeah, but uh, anyway, I, that's not uh, us. That's not how I, I do. I, I mean, I, I could do that. It was a jab. I could do that. Good. That's how um, they do it at IU. There's plenty of people at IU that do that kind of stuff. Dude, uh, some of these boards out here, especially when you try and go on, on some of these Big Twelve boards to just read about basketball, it's like uh, the boards that start a new thread for literally like a new topic, whether it be something that could be in the same thread as another oh, yeah. thread. Just, they just oh, start a new yeah. thread for every thought that they have. You're talking chaos. That right there is chaos. It, it's impossible. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and timestamp the uh, wrap up of football, and we'll dive in. All right, quick paper supply. Your local and family and restaurant supply company for all your non-food products. I feel like I just did this. They provide mostly disposable restaurant supplies, products like to-go containers, cups, pizza boxes, to-go bags, can liners, napkins, etc. They've been open since 2009 and are one of the largest minority-owned companies in the city. Call Nick, 513-470-2029. Reference Bearcats for 20% off your first month of purchases. There you go. Got to give got to give Nick his love on the old quick paper supply. Um, man, three games down in the Big 12. All three teams were ranked. All three teams put up a challenge, uh, I would say. Bearcats come out through those three games, one and two. A tough game, obviously, this past Saturday at Baylor. Um, one where you know uh, Chad, you and Aaron had a nice nightcap, just kind of rehashing the game itself. Uh, one where, man, you you look at some you know certain stats. You, you you hold the best shooting team in the country to only five made threes on on twenty. What was it? Twenty one attempts. Yeah, 20. yeah, twenty attempts, and you know you hold them to. Relatively low scoring, sixty-two points, their lowest of the uh, of the year. Uh, you know, you play pretty sound defense. You're able to uh, 
kind of tie them in, in, in rebounds. Obviously, you want to have one one way, but you did have 12 offensive rebounds yourself. But on the flip side, rough shooting night for the Bearcats, uh, 421. And actually, every player not named Dan Skillings was uh, was 0 for 15 from yeah. beyond the arc in that game. Uh, I I guess what, what you want to pull out is the fact that through that tough shooting, through the uh, somewhat of a you know ugly rock bitey type game, you were right there in the end with two chances to win the basketball game against arguably the best team in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I don't think they're. I don't know that they're arguably the best team in the Big Twelve, but um, yeah, right now, I'd say I still think their defense is a little, still a little, a little shaky overall, but. Uh, I, I get your point. They're they're one of the upper echelon teams right. in the league, for sure. And that's the frustrating part is Aaron and I talked about this in the first half, but for the game, completely. Yeah. You played an awesome defensive game against one of the best offenses in the country. They were not just firing up open looks from three and missing. Like, yeah. They like BYU. You could argue like BYU got a lot of good looks that they that they normally make that they missed. Mm-hmm. Um, you just didn't give BYU a whole lot of space around the perimeter. You didn't allow them to 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 pop the ball the way that they normally do. Passing it, they had they only had thirteen assists. That's a high assist, high quality passing team. They only had thirteen assists. They only had 22 made baskets. Yeah. And to to get that result and not win sucks. Yeah. Like it, it's 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 frustrating. It's just as frustrating as a lot of the stuff we talked about uh with Texas, where yeah. you were in a position to win that game and it ended in heartbreak. And like I said on Twitter Saturday or Sunday morning, one of the two, like what they have shown these first three games is that they belong in terms of roster construction, talent. They belong in this conference. They're, they're good enough to compete in this conference. Right. But that's great. And it's important for the early part of this process, but now you got to win. And you have to protect home court in this league. You're one and two, and you got back-to-back home games with TCU and Oklahoma coming up. You have to win at least one. If you win two, I guess I have to kiss Dave on the mouth. Okay. All right. We'll put that on our uh, on our OF page. The, the, no, uh, I mean, I already fans. told him. Here, like I said, if they get – I told him if they get two wins, I I might have to kiss him in the mouth. Yeah. If they go three and three, or heck, we bring home a victory. We're driving home Tuesday morning from the fog, uh, and they're four and two. I. Wow. Is what it is. Whoa. Talk about uh, <laughs> podcasting after dark, man. Come on now. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, it, the because it. The whole thing, I, I mean, listen to what Rick Pitino says about trying to find silver linings when it comes to, to losing basketball games. That's kind of my feeling, even though I try and be so positive all the time. It, it's like 
gosh, immediately after the loss, it hurts. Um, but the main thing about this one is the fact that following the Texas loss, it makes the Baylor loss sting even more. Uh, if if the Bearcats were able to to you know get one defensive stop down the stretch in that Texas game, we're all kind of probably talking a different tune as far and they as got the-, the stops in the Baylor game. I mean, yeah. it felt like the entire last minute they were playing for the lead, and they just couldn't get the ball to drop to get it. I, like, why us? Why can can Texas get all these bounces on those last two shots to fall through? And and gosh, like Dan's layup, like you watch that that replay, that ball is halfway down. I it just, uh you know what? Nobody else has talked about. His dunk that I think would have changed the game is his dunk that he missed. Halfway down. Right. Yeah. Whatever. It's it's all strange things. <laughs> right. Strange things. I let's let's touch on Dan real fast. Uh obviously Stetson Dan showed up down there in Waco. Baylor Dan. It's now Baylor Dan. Baylor Dan. Uh Stetson Dan know, is out. Baylor Dan is in. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, you know, let's I want to talk about, obviously, I mentioned how much I like to hear what opposing teams, coaches have to say. That's a couple things removed because I don't I don't like day of listening to someone be happy, especially when I heard Jacoby Walter in the uh, press conference say that he he gets locked, locked down defense by his teammates better than anything that Cincinnati showed him throughout the game. I'm sure. What, you know, yeah, eye roll, man. Come on, dude. Big, big eye roll. But, but uh, I digress. One thing that I did like to see is the fact that Scott Drew said that Dan Skillings is an elite offensive rebounder. So Dan is taking that elite offensive rebounding, tying yes. it in with his, his aggressiveness scoring the basketball in this game. So I ask you guys this now. Is is this the start of Dan Skillings taking a a even heavier role as, as trying to be that goat? Go to guy. I feel like that's something that everyone across the fan base is starting to crop up and talk about. Or is this going to be a, a, a scenario where it's a ride the hot hand type thing each night, and it could be someone different each night? I don't think anybody's currently made that huge leap forward yet. I think there's guys trying to, when their number's called, be the guy. Uh, yeah. But right now, I mean, it's Vic on some nights, but Vic gets himself into some early foul trouble and becomes a guy that's playing hesitant the rest of the night so much so that he only has one rebound. You can't have one rebound Vic and hope to win games in this conference. Yeah. Plain and simple. So I, I don't know. I'm, go ahead. I, I, I just, I think it's going to be one of those things where it can, I, I think you're too far into the season right now that no, I don't really see anybody emerging over the course of the next couple of weeks as a, a guy that you're going to rely on when your back is against the wall. That said, I think that there's still that opportunity over the course of their career at Cincinnati. I just don't know that you're going to see that before the end of the season. He, I, I mostly agree with you, Aaron. Here's where I would disagree. We have not seen them in enough tight situations yet for somebody to – like emerge emerge in that role or, or find like find a way to get comfortable in that role. And we're probably going to see a a lot more over the next 15 games where guys are going to get chances for that to happen. I don't know if it will, 
I'm not rooting against it to happen. Don't get no, me no, wrong. No, 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 no. I, I get what you're saying, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, I'm just pointing out that like there's going to be a lot more opportunity for that to happen than there has been through the first 16 games. There's essentially you're guaranteed 16 more, 15 conference games, and then one game in the in the conference tournament, and they've played 16. The first 16 did not provide a lot of opportunity for growth in that, you know, we've got the ball with 15 seconds left down one roll. You would hope as more opportunity arrives, somebody becomes comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid you're you're probably right. <laughs> but Right now, Brent, I think it's going to be by committee, by the, you know, now we're narrowing it down into what guys are possibly going to be in that role. Um, But, you know, so far it's, it's looked like a pattern of uh, we have like what we've talked about all season. There are a bunch of different quality options. There's not one star option. Mm -hmm. So you ride through each game and you figure out, okay, we're eight minutes in and this guy's got 11. Right. Uh, we're going to hop on that that wagon tonight and try to ride it to the finish line. Uh, D- Chad, do you think, obviously you're a you're hoop head, so do you think it's a little different when in football, you know, the saying is if you have three quarterbacks, then, you know, you don't have a quarterback. So, you know, that's that's the the saying when it comes to that. In basketball, it, if you have, you know, say you got, you could say that at CMOS at, at some point, Vic at, in certain games, Dan has showed it in certain games. Is is it where you have all these options, so you don't have an option, or do you think it's a it, it's a more more options well, is the better type? I, the problem is you you don't have an NBA guy. Yeah. Right. Like that's in in basketball. That's what that means. In football, it means you you don't have a quarterback. In basketball, it means you don't have a guy that's gonna gonna be on an NBA roster in the the near yeah. future. Yeah. Right. Not, not just not, you know. And look, almost everybody that plays in this league is going to play professional basketball. Mm-hmm. But. The guys that that have the NBA guys that they can throw the ball to, those those teams are going to be different. The guys that don't are generally going to look more like Cincinnati, where depending on the night, we've got two or three or four different guys that, um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna play through. Everybody's got the guy that's going to have the ball in their hands. Yeah. But right now, so far, that's been Day-Day because he's the most sure-handed at that um, in terms of attacking and, and playing with the ball in his hand. Yeah, really um, but we'll see, you know, they went to Dan on that that first baseline out-of-bounds that he missed the left-handed layup. They go to CMOS on the second one. Um, I don't look too much into the, the three Day-Day took with six seconds left. Like, you just have to get the ball on the rim. You're not running the offense. Like, I don't think people get how long it takes to run a design play to get a three-point shooter. And and also, once you you hit that under five, that's when teams that foul 
of yeah. three will foul, and then all of a sudden you get stuck in that mess. So, so like we talked about, he he hit, got the ball off the rim. Simas got it, yeah, and got out to the three point line to get a, another second shot at it. So, I don't worry too much about that. Um, I, I like, yeah, they they don't have like somebody hasn't established themselves as the quarterback. Uh, usually that's the guy that yeah. is going to go make a bunch of money. They don't have that at this point. Um, day day, I. You know, you, you can see his defense. You can see his his handle. He's he's in a bit of a slump shooting. Yeah, he went uh, what, six of fifteen this last game, but uh, you know he's he's one for his last fifteen from three. Um, he's three of his last twenty three. Uh, has has really struggled shooting from the field overall. Chad, I mean, he he was good inside the line against Baylor. He's good yeah. at the rim. Right. Right. Um, and made a couple mid range, finished a couple really tough contested layups. Uh, a couple of them he got fouled on and didn't get called, but you know, that's uh, that's life at the rim and big time conference play. <laughs> I, I get your point, I know where you're, you're how you're trying to frame it. I don't fully agree with it, uh, yeah. because I think he had an outstanding game Saturday. Yeah, he's got to make more threes, I, like uh, that, right. The wide open, look but out. he also like he also whether he's making them or not, he has to take those wide open rhythm shots that are coming in the flow of the offense. Yes, like the offense calls for you to take those shots. One, two, you're one of the elite rebound offensive rebounding teams in the country, so getting the ball up on the rim is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, uh, so I I'm not really trying to dog him or anything. It, it, it just seems like obviously the one storyline, one of the bigger ones coming in was, you know, the two first time point guards heading into the big 12 and up to this point outside of some spurts, it's been, it's been a little bit of a slow rise for, for uh, both of them. Um, but you know, they do bring some excellent on defense for a, a month. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's that that's, you know, and, and even you go back to that Texas, he had, Great defense on that last shot. It was just a, yeah. you know, one of the best scorers over the past, you know, decade in college basketball. Hit a hit a good shot. It hit a really tough shot. So, um, it, there's there's no knock on the defense at all. And, and you know, he's he's been pure from the line as well. It just seems as if once he gets over that hump and maybe starts to see a couple fall from long range, then maybe that will kind of you know upstart the other facets of the game and kind of kind of get things rolling. But up to the point so. it has been a bit of a, a struggle at the one. Um I like you know, seeing him take a couple of those pulling up and, and taking a couple of those mid-range because that's something he is confident and comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um you know if you're gonna if you're gonna try to build your confidence back up because he's not missing like like hand in his face shots at the rim. He's missing layups. Where he blows by his defender, and maybe his body's just moving a little too fast right now. Like mm-hmm. as he gets the ball up on the backboard, he's trying to rush it and afraid a shot blocker's coming or you know overthinking it. Um, but yeah, he, he I was impressed that he's like, all right, I'm going to get back to to something I'm comfortable with and hit a couple of those pull up 15 footers early in that game that I thought gave him some confidence. 
you know, once he gets things rolling, if, if Dan keeps it up, CMOS, obviously a bit of a struggle shooting in the last game, but that you see the pieces, which is, which is yeah. so, you know, fun. But speaking of some pieces he didn't see it, it, it's hard to also deny the fact that this team has not had any like fluid continu- continuity in the lineup since the beginning of the year. Uh, it's, yeah. and, and now the current Aziz situation, I, I, I don't know if you, obviously we always say when it comes to injuries, it's above our pay grade, but um it it just seems like it's another wrench thrown into everything when when he was ruled out on Saturday. Um, obviously, the hope is to see him again this week because I I don't know about you guys I I think this is probably the the biggest two game stretch, uh, biggest week in Bearcat basketball since I I can honestly remember. So I mean, um, there were plenty of weeks in the old Big East that that right. felt similar. Uh, but in Long time over ago. the last, yeah, over the last decade, I don't remember a two game stretch as important as this. Like, mm. you got to get one, and you really, to make the math work, getting two would be incredibly beneficial. And, and you know, the weird thing is, I, they're they're going to be favored in both games, most likely. Um, so getting getting two is going to be not expected, but um, from from the outside eye and and when it comes to metrics, when it comes to Vegas, they're they're going to be the favorite team. Now that's going to be because it's at home. Obviously that that ties into the factor. But man, Aaron, Chad, you guys talked about it. There's a bunch of upsets, quote quote upsets, if you will, home home teams pulling off wins against ranked opponents, and you know I. I, I don't see why Cincinnati can't be one of those teams now that has these big they have teams, to be right opponents because yeah. because if not Brent you're in the bottom of the conference exactly if you can't hold serve at home in this league you're gonna end up in the bottom of the conference like that's exactly. just the reality of it like, like there's no sugarcoating that there's no dancing around it the teams that don't win at home aren't gonna be the teams that win on the road right <laughs> right so you have got to show you can hold serve. And and guess what? Even if they only win one and they go one and one, they're one and two at home. Yeah. Like, well, it's not just Cincinnati, like the Cincinnati faithful that believes in this team either. I mean, they were, they were the favorites according to Vegas to win against Texas. They are the favorites two and a half points against TCU. Um, and Baylor was only favored six and a half. Uh, so it's not like we're all crazy for believing in this team. It's not, uh, I don't know, we're not out of our minds out here, just delusional or anything. Right. Uh, quick look at TCU. Um, Chad, your your second favorite player in the Big 12 is a uh, Horned Frog. Um, man, they're an experienced team, a team that uh, has has – Hit the portal not only this past year but years past, and they've they've built a a, a nice looking squad through just transfers coming in, continuity, filling some holes through the transfer portal this past offseason. Emmanuel Miller, obviously one of the top three to five best players in the Big Twelve as of right now, uh, and then they've got some some guys, some transfers that you know, and, and Jameer Nelson uh, Jr. and then of course uh, Avery Anderson that have now started to find their footing 
with yeah. TCU and they Jameer they Nelson like was really, really good against good. Houston. Really good against Houston. Was that? I said Jameer Nelson was really good against Houston. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um so, yeah. Just your thoughts on TCU, man. I you've been tweeting about them. They they look pretty doggone good. I mean, they're just they're efficient offensively. They know who they are. Um they score a ton in transition and they score at the rim. Uh it is going to be a huge test for Cincinnati getting back. Um not Live ball turnovers might be the difference in this game. If Cincinnati gives it to TCU and lets them play downhill, Tucson, Nelson, like, like not Tucson. He plays. He plays for Texas Tech, doesn't he? Where did I get that from? My games are jumbling together from what I watched over the weekend. But they've got a lot of length, a lot of athleticism. They can get to the rim. They try to turn you over live ball. They, they get a lot of steals. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not a, like their overall turnover numbers aren't like eye popping, but they get effective turnovers, live ball turnovers, steals, uh, layups the other way. And Cincinnati has not been sharp with the ball. You could tell that was a uh, heavy focus this week in practice, the way they took care of the ball against Baylor. And it's going to have to be again uh, going into TCU because if you give them four or five live ball turnovers, they are going to turn into dunks and you're going to be in another close game that you gave the team and the the opponent an unnecessary advantage. Um, They're an okay defensive rebounding team, not a great defensive rebounding team. So I do think like there are some some boards to be had on the offensive end for Cincinnati. They, they again they don't have they don't have great size, but they have great length. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have to win the positioning battle. You're going to have to get in area rebounds without letting them sneak in and uh, snatch it from you. So that's going to be important and. I mean, I know they beat it to death uh, during the Houston broadcast, but it, it's just impressive. They have 5,000-point scorers on their roster. Yeah. <laughs> this night has yeah. another scoring drought for six minutes. I don't. Man, you got to find a way to score. They switched to that zone, and I tell you what, man, we, we, got, we got befuddled. That's for sure. TCU will take off on you if you have a six-minute scoring drought. Well, the thought was BYU or uh, Baylor would, but they, I'm, I mean, they didn't. You still, you just, you can't rely on that, right? Either thirty-eight, thirty-one when they went on that spell, I, you know, it's yeah. just, it's crazy. But uh, I, an interesting thing about TCU as well is, that, so there's three hundred and sixty-five teams in in Division One. Something I forget what the number is yeah, anymore. Like so, uh. Baylor, sorry, uh, TCU. They are 335th in a percentage of 362 teams. Uh, they are 335th in percentage of their points scored beyond the arc. They they don't shoot the three. No, they they've got two guys which, that can shoot it. Yeah, go ahead. Which is almost a problem, Brent. 
Because one of the things that Cincinnati is great at defending the three is yeah. defending the three-point line. Yeah. So, you know, they beat BYU and they were in it with Baylor because they made two great elite three-point shooting teams struggle. TCU might they, they might not take any. They might just be like, nah, fam, we're not letting you have that. <laughs> that's, that's a weird thing. I I mean they're they have been efficient when they've shot it. I I mean they were eight for fifteen against Houston, a big reason why they uh they they won that game because you know they were they were decisive when they shot it and, and when they did it and went made in, the I'm, shots, yeah. Yeah, right. And and so I and, and two of them, but they're only two players that are truly a threat from beyond the arc is you know, obviously we've mentioned one of them to at Anasia Anasium Manuel Miller, big time shooter, doesn't shoot a bunch, but he's knocked down 40%. But the, the, the name you got to circle, just got to make sure you don't lose him at all. Is Trevian Tennis Tennyson, which is a, a transfer that he, he uh, came from Texas AM Corpus Christi, and he's knocking him down at a 47% clip. And what four for six against Houston? I think, yeah, he's he's a guy that that potentially. You know, lose him a couple times, similar to the Dayton game with their one big time three point threat, knocking down, you know, four or five that he shot in that game. Yeah. Just got to make sure you account for him on the court at times. And outside of that, it's it's going to be a dogfight. You know, he it's can't gonna... be Tevin now. What's that? I said he can't be Tevin, Trevin, Tevin, whatever now. Yeah, Trevin, Trevin. You can't let him get nine uh, in the first 28 minutes of the game. <laughs> Well, high. Unless Jamie Dixon sits him for a while, and then you can say, "All right, let's go on a run." But uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, keys to this one, uh, not really keys to the game, but kind of just what you think needs to happen in order for a win to come out is score more points. Oh, thank you. I like that. But that is a novel concept. It's my expert analysis. Uh, get one more point uh, through forty <laughs> minutes. Uh, exactly 40 minutes, get one more point, and get the hell out. Yes. <laughs> if there's additional minutes after the 40 minutes, just score more more points with those additional minutes. Yeah, but you don't want that. You want to score you more. You want to score more in exactly 40 minutes. That gives uh, me heartburn. You don't want to. <laughs> give me but um, on, on top of it is uh, – is is also the fact. Uh, what you think, Newman on on Miller for most of the game? If I would if, think so, yeah. yeah, I would think so. Also, seems like a team that you would potentially go with that that four guard lineup with with the big that you saw, and then mix in the two big lineup throughout the game when it, when needed. Um, I don't know. It's going to be exciting to see what uh, what happens out there. But hey, a, a ruckus crowd uh, got to win both. I think. Got to win both this week. It's 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 extremely massive to definitely win one, but I I want to win both. I'm sorry to be a little greedy, but they've looked great. They've done everything but win. And uh, yes, they beat BYU, but you got to start to stack wins, especially as as the road games start to come up. Yeah, I mean that's you know look, the math starts mathing. If you're one and five, you got to get to to eight or nine wins right? to have a chance. Eight wins to be on the bubble and feel uncomfortable. I think if you get to nine wins in this league, you're going to find yourself in the tournament. But if you're one and five, now you got to go eight and four. 
the rest of the way. And this league, like, you can't be confident that there's an eight and four stretch coming. Right. You you can't be confident that you're going to win four out of five at some point in time to, to really get your momentum going. Like, you cannot get through this six-game stretch one and five. No matter, it, like, the feel-good stuff, the stuff where, okay, they're showing that they belong in this conference, they're playing tight games, they're, they're taking teams down to the wire. Okay, that that's great. But that's out the window right now because of the two home games that you have to get at least one and preferably two. Right. Uh, what you hope, here's what you hope, Brent. TCU's feeling real good about themselves. Wish they should. They beat number 10 Oklahoma or number nine Oklahoma at the time. They beat number two Houston at the time. Yep. So they should be feeling really good about themselves. You got to hope they don't have a chip on their shoulder by only being ranked 19 after those wins. I I don't understand that at all. I got 13 to Nevada. Yeah, but you just beat two top 10 teams. I know. I know. You should at least be 15. Yeah. Well, I thought they were going to be, but I mean, the AP is weird. Uh, the, the AP poll, zero votes receiving for Cincinnati. I, you know, uh, what you what lost, you lost two. You know, no, I, I know. I'm, I'm just trying to explain uh, like the AP poll. Like, pe- people are like, like, why are there receiving votes? Who is receiving votes? Like, like, while it is, it's like all these AP voters put their poll out. And if you aren't on any of the AP voters' polls, then you don't receive any votes. It's not like the AP gets together and they're like Cincinnati should not have let's, received. Let's pick any all votes, these teams right? and let's pick some with receiving votes. I, right. I'm not saying they should have. I'm you guys are because they're thinking I'm getting angry about that. I'm not. I'm I'm just trying to explain how this uh this this beautiful AP poll works. It's it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing. It's it's something just put together, thrown together, and probably half of the people take it serious. Probably not even half. So um, I think TCU's better than 19th in the country. I, I agree with you at that point. But things are really good. Yeah. And I, I've always been a big Jamie Dixon fan. I, I've enjoyed watching his teams play for a long time, even when uh Aaron Gray broke his ankles and Kemba got him for three. Not Aaron Gray. Who looks more like a vampire though? Jamie Dixon or Rick Patino? Patino. Only because Patino is actually 247 years old. <laughs> Chat. You know what they should have done, Aaron? They should have made like a, a character in Red Dead Redemption that was just Rick Patino. Like, oh my God, <laughs> there's Rick Patino in 1892. The problem is he'd be in a saloon. <laughs> right. That's fine. Right. That's fine. <laughs> Next to a lady in a in a dress. <laughs> That's how they should have done it. They should have put Rick Patino in a in a booth in a in a bar in one of those little uh San Denis. That's where Rick Patino would have been. San Denis. Chad Gary McGee. No, Aaron Gray was the one that he bought. It? It, it was Gary McGee. Oh wow. I thought it was Aaron Gray for some reason. I, I mean, the only reason I constantly remember that is because he's always at, like, pick up basketball games in Indy, like, the, the, the hoops on the things, and people just dog him for it, so. 
I mean, he got embarrassed. He did. Absolutely. Well, should we time stamp? Already did. Yeah, we can we can definitely timestamp. That timestamp is brought to you by Quick Paper Supply, your local family-owned restaurant supply company for all your non-food products. They service over 150 restaurants with weekly low minimum next day deliveries, providing a wide range of food service products, to-go containers, cups, custom printed products, eco-friendly, and much more. They also have cleaning and restroom supplies for all your janitorial needs. Call Nick at 513-470-2029 and reference Bearcats for 20% off your first month of purchases. All right. Boom, baby. Let's open up this mailbag and get everyone out of here. Starting in the football portion of the mailbag. When is the D.C. search expected to finalize? And is there an update on candidates? As we kind of discussed, updates are going to be on the uh, hot board on BearcatJournal.com. But as for expected to finalize you. When they find when the right guy. You're not in a rush right here. Like, that's what people have to understand. Like, do you want to get it done as soon as possible? Sure. You know what's more important? Finding the right guy. You also don't want to like, end up in a situation where you hire somebody, and then he's gone in, like, a week and a half because the NFL yeah. plucked him. Right. So just you're in a window that is not high stress in terms of timeline. Do your interviews. Bring guys to campus. Get them around the program, figure out, you know, the right fit and make the right hire. You are you don't have to, uh, you know, rush this and have somebody in place by Friday. If you do, that's, that's also fine. But you can do that knowing that you feel like you've, you've got the right guy. You, you don't have to say, we, we you know, we're going to have somebody in 72 hours if, the process takes longer than that. Trust the process is what I'm saying. All right. Are there certain recruits, portal or high school, that were recruited or tied to Brian Brown that could leave now? All of them. You're in the transfer portal era, baby. All of them could. Are there any that I think will? No, not at the moment. But let's see who the new coach is. Let's see how everybody fits into the new coach's system and what the belief is. If guys don't feel like they do, then there's a good chance they can hit the portal. Um, We don't know the answer to that yet until we have a new defensive coordinator. But I'll tell you this. Guys don't like when the coach when the head coach leave, everybody leaves. Assistant coaches and coordinators change in college football constantly. And it's just not something that usually triggers a lot of movement. Could there be a guy that's like, yeah, Brian Brown's my guy. Like, I'm I'm leaving because he's not here. Sure. That's that's there are always a million scenarios, which means a couple of them are going to happen. Um, but it's just not like, it's not something that, how many guys have you seen left LSU because Mike Denbrock went to Notre Dame? I don't know of any. Like, that's just not how this all works. 
don't pay attention to LSU like that, but I pay attention to Den Brock like that. That's my guy. All right. Uh, the staff seems very intentional in how they select players to offer from the portal and high school. How important is it for the next DC hire to be someone that runs a similar defense to Coach Brown and that fits the personnel that is in place for 2024? We're about to find out, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't think you want to just like, okay, we're going to hire a guy that runs like a power four, three defense. Cause you don't have that roster. Like that's now, now you're not going to have that roster for this year. And then you have to go into the transfer portal next year and try to readjust and change everything. I think you want them to at least have uh, a similar like belief system, even if their systems aren't the same, you want them to at least be like cousins yeah, I wouldn't think that Satterfield is going to put his neck on the line for a guy who's got to completely nuke this current system and personnel to get to his. That, that wouldn't make any sense. And remember, I, this is what, the fifth year that Brown has been Satterfield's, like, D.C. of choice? Yeah. Four years in Louisville and one year here? Like, the, the he has a belief in what Brian Brown was doing. So it wouldn't make sense for him to just be like, okay, uh, I hired the guy, believed in his system, and now we're going to take a left turn at Albuquerque and go try to do something else. Like, that's not how this usually lines up. I I mean, I think he was even with, with Sat back at Appalachian State, too. He was, but I'm talking about his defensive core. I don't think he oh, was DC there. Yeah. As DC, he's been Sats DC for I think five years. Well, and 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 the thing that that's important about this is the fact that Stat is is obviously an offensive coach, and right. so so you know the, losing a, a man in last offseason, able to hire you know Brad Glenn was was something that was kind of able to to kind of work out and figure out because Sat is is there leading the office. DC is going to be important. This is a it's an important hire. Because obviously that's going to be the one that really spearheads what the defense is going to look like. And then, unfortunately, sorry, Merck, we were not able to get to your question for Nico. Um, worth mentioning, though, I mean, I think we were all kind of surprised how healthy the, the team was able to remain throughout the season um, as they, they really didn't have a ton of injuries. That is the end of the football portion of the mailbag. Moving to the basketball portion of the mailbag. In the two Big 12 losses, which of these three factors contributed the most? A, the inability to hit numerous shots at the rim. Uh, B, no, B, free throw shooting. C, no obvious alpha to close out the game. Sorry, get the right up ready. Uh, the big 12 losses, which of these three factors, right? Aaron, what that. do you think? Um, of those three factors that contributed the most in the in the losses, I don't think I'm, I'm 
free throw shooting maybe in the in the second game but probably not in the third game so much um i think it's got to come down to i think a and c are almost the same thing if you had an alpha closing out the game then you are making those numerous shots at the rim well i think it's more like throughout the game they missed like especially texas they missed a ton of layups yeah yeah. Like, like, day day, it was you know, tough to rip. Um, everybody, like, again, you, like, you guys drive me like day day was they missed like, like 13 shots. At the I don't rim. think C is necessarily because I mean, like, CMOS closed the game out well against Texas. I mean, I, I, I think what I mentioned, there's, the 360, there's 362 teams in Division One. I. I think 361 teams in Division One win that win that basketball game. After CMOS makes that shot, that I, I think that happens. There's some curse on on the Bearcats. Um, they're going to break <laughs> through it this year. I swear to God. But I think 361 out of the 362 teams <laughs> in college basketball in Division One win that basketball game following that that fadeaway jumper that CMOS made against Texas. Um, but yeah, not if I, they miss a one and one right after it. Hey man, hey man, I'm standing by that. 361 out of 362. But uh, man, they're that so whole, ridiculous. The whole luck factor, but uh, yeah, I, I think, I think, I, like <laughs> Killer V, man, you're you're obviously touching on a yes that that happened in the Texas game. It's B, all of them. That's that, the answer. That like in the Texas it all game. is is part of it. Like yeah, they all work in unison. It's not if they just did this. If they did any of those three things, they probably win the game. Yeah. I mean, I thought Dan was was an alpha to, to bring him back within shadow distance, but then got to make the layup. Yeah, exactly. Free throws yeah, against Baylor, though. Free throws against Baylor. They were seven of twelve. It wasn't a terrible night. I mean, that's we're you missed five, barely over five hundred fifty percent. I'm a side with Chad probably on that, that you only took twelve. That's the you make that's you make three of those. Hey, you make three of those. We're talking free basketball, baby. Come on now. Unreal. <sighs> Vic had seven points and one rebound versus Baylor. Does Vic need to be near double double stats status in every game for us to win consistently or at all in the Big Twelve? If Aziz doesn't play, I think yes, he needs to give you a little bit more. But he he showed against Baylor. He only was seven and one and. They had a chance to win, so maybe it doesn't matter. Right. You need him to be better, especially on the glass, than he was Saturday. Yeah. He, again, since I should have dominated in down in the trend, like down low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Aziz, they, Aziz is a really, really good rebounder, and yes, uh, but but Aziz didn't play. No, I know. So Vic has to get more than one rebound. Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I'm just saying that. Yes, like this. Like we should have dominated, but you hear that your 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 starting five man, or arguably your your best rebounder, stat wise and opportunity wise, is is not available. Um, it doesn't. It should completely. That means somebody's got to step up. At oh, the yeah. end of the day, not Brent, go get one. Of, you had you had you had Jamil Odie. Yeah, you had Jamil, Odie, and Vic combined for seven rebounds. Seven. If you know Aziz, like if he got one rebound while Aziz was playing and Aziz had like nine defensive rebounds, you can kind of be like, eh, 
all right. Like Aziz right. was gobbling them. Vic was boxing out, and Aziz yeah. was securing the rebound. But no, you didn't have Aziz. Jamil didn't exactly rebound it at an elite level. Vic cannot have one. He let a dirty play. It was a dirty play. It was dirty. By Caleb Lohner. It was a dirty play. Right. If you watch it, it was dirty. Dirty. Crackback blocked Vic as he was looking at the rim for a rebound. It was dirty. Right. Dirty. But you Glide can't side. let that. You can't let that take yeah. you completely out of your game. And Agreed. he does that. And and like Aaron and I talked about on Saturday night, like I guarantee it's one of the first five things that a coach says in a game plan is get under this guy's skin. Right. Yeah, we talked because about the fact that he will take himself out of the game. Loner yeah. was only in for four minutes, and one of the things he was tasked to do in those four minutes were to set Vic off. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Gosh. I I randomly just remember that name, Caleb Loner, Chad, you know, because he yeah. was, was on, the, on that team with Mikey. So it's like yep. I would always know what his stats were throughout the entire game. But, yep. um, yeah, that was that was definitely a dirty play. But you, you can't retaliate. You got to just be like, whoa, like take a step back and be like, whoa. But I don't know. <laughs> In the same sense, you do like – to see that, like, not back down, but you got to realize that you'll do it like that right in front of the officials where they know you, you you do that by scoring a bucket on his head on the other end of the court. So, um, you know what Caleb Lohner did in those four minutes, though? Out rebounded Vic for the game, right? You know, and another thing, a vicious crackback block while, while Vic was looking the other way. You know, another thing, though, um, I, I think Aziz is, is not only is he good at lobs obviously but i think he's good at defending lobs um kind of his timing and and recognize you know recognizing that they're going to throw a lob he he gets a lot of tips on them and stuff baylor was throwing lobs like it was candy so i yeah, think but that was uh, almost all on cmos they were well, picking on cmos two were on Odie when when Odie was in i it was it was a scenario where i was just like okay well disease was in for these spot minutes too it, it'd be maybe yeah a couple deflections here and there. All right. Maybe. Do you guys think the players feel more pressure to win at home? No. I think they feel pressure to win every game. Like now, now, if you start to get in the realm where the football team was at, where they couldn't win a game at a place that, you know, is supposed to be impenetrable, maybe it yeah. gets in your head a little bit. Um, eventually, but ultimately, like right now, no, I don't think it's it's much of a deal. Uh, I would, would imagine they're doing they don't want to get booed at home, but you take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, but they actually that's the, maybe like right up there with the best they played this season. They got booed going into the half, and then they came out of the half hey. and beat the piss out of somebody. And but maybe and, this team might have be been booed. the spark they needed. Yeah, maybe this team likes to Look be at what's good. happened since that second half. The of last that. time I said that, Chad lost his mind. They don't care about that. No, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying not to get yelled at here. Moving on. Baylor game. <laughs> Plays of the game. Number one. Day-day's left to right crossover and jet speed to layup and free throw. Done to bench with three fouls. Number two. Day-day ball fake pass pulling defender away and pass to Skillings in corner for a three. Four plus minutes left. Number three, Vic's outlet pass to Skillings for fast break layup. Two plus minute mark. 
Number four, any of your own choices. I'm going to take any part of Dan's Skilling's dunk. I'll, I'll go with the seven. Like you're down nine with three minutes left. You're about to get handled. And I know it's not a play, but Dan's ability to go on a seven Oh run there uh, was, was undeniable. Yeah. I think uh, pick I, any I'm, one of those plays and that's my favorite play. How's that? Piggybacking off you there, Chad, that <laughs> when, when Dan knocked down that three, to kind yeah. of stymie things to, to begin it, you know, because you feel like, you know, like you said in the in the uh, nightcap, that, that could have easily been the recipe for a 14-point Baylor win. Right. No one bats an eye. It's just like, ah, uh, Baylor's better than Cincinnati. Cincinnati, maybe yeah. they're a year away. but They no. beat BYU. They hung close with Texas, but they weren't ready for Baylor at Baylor. Yeah. Right. So um, Dan was, was the sole – Heartbeat for for keeping them in it and having a chance to win at the end. So, uh, shouts to Dan, man. Shouts to Dan. All right, Baylor Dan, Baylor Dan, Baylor Dan. Is the lack of a go-to guy one of the reasons for failing to finish at the end of the game because we lack that dog? I think Skillings could be that guy, but maybe not until next year. We've talked ad nauseum about that at this point throughout the show. Uh, has this team gotten better because of CJ not being on the floor over the last few weeks? Whose minutes do you see taking a hit if slash when he comes back? Or is CJ the one who gets hurt by Josh's ascension over the last few weeks? CJ is not uh, a reason this team has gotten better because he's off the floor. No. He changes everything when he's on the floor offensively. Spacing, the flow of Especially the offense. Especially if he's hitting. Yeah. Well, even if, but even if he's not, like he can, and they know he's done it everywhere at a very high level. So right. you have to guard him. You have to be aware of him. Um, and he can pass. He's he's a smart player. Uh, could you maybe argue that that one of the reasons? I, like, I'll give you this. Uh, defensively, maybe they have taken it to a different level because there's a little bit more consistently some athletic, more athleticism on the floor, but I don't think CJ's a bad defender. So I, I don't fully buy into that. Uh, where do his minutes come from? I mean, I guess you would just like, it's going to have to be a concophony of uh, Josh Reed, Dan, John Newman, CMOS, two minutes here, two minutes here, two minutes here, and then all of a sudden you've got everybody all back around in that that same range. I don't think there's any one guy that specifically like you know, with Odie, it was with, with Odie, it was clear. Like, okay, like these guys are all eligible when you had Vic Aziz, Sima, uh, Vic Aziz, Jamil, like Odie's gonna have to to step back a little. I don't think it's that obvious. Uh, also mainly because one of the reasons Josh has been on the floor is he's been defending uh, really, really well on bigger guys. And that's not a role that they're going to ask CJ to do. All right. Any, any basketball unofficial visits to speak of lately? No. 
they've been on the road mostly. So no. Is it time for VAR to deal with officiating, say, maybe in the last three minutes? Basically, already does on the stuff that, like, VAR deals with, like, the the stuff that's not objective. Yeah, under, two, under two minutes. Quick yeah, under two minutes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think they're pretty good at that, too, where, like, they, like, they don't, you know, wait. They, like, immediately go. Where in the past they talk about it, then spend twenty minutes, and then come back and say something. It's gotten better for sure. That is the basketball portion of the mailbag, and the uh, oh, looks like we got one a late entry here. I'll throw it up real quick. Oh, uh, um. late is unacceptable. Thoughts on Dez's future with the Falcons? I think they will give him another year as a starter. Uh, no. Apparently apparently there's Bill Belichick rumors to Atlanta happening right now on the Twitter. Now. Well, he the, the Falcons announced that they interviewed Bill Belichick. So. Maybe I'm crazy. Desmond Ritter seems like a guy that Bill Belichick would absolutely down King, man. love. Well, I don't I don't think that Bill Belichick's gonna be drafting a quarterback that he's got to mold. He wants to win right now, right? Yeah, and so that's why Kirk Cousins is coming into Atlanta. <laughs> Although looks retirement. Again, yeah. No, I don't think I think Tom is okay, like where how things ended. Like Tom got the the last word. I left and won a Super Bowl. Bill hasn't done shit without me. Like I think, I think Tom takes the W there. Uh, ultimately, Otter, I I still think the same thing that I've always thought that early in his career, Des is going to have some chances to start. Uh, but when and if that doesn't like hold, he's going to make a shit ton of money being a backup in the NFL for a decade plus. Like, oh, oh yeah. He's he's everything you could want in a number two to a really good quarterback, and those guys usually get paid pretty well. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with Chad. He's going to make a bunch of money. And, and you know what? If he finds the correct fit that really makes things work, we've seen that he's – He's a winner, but yeah, man, this past season it did not go too hot for uh, for the old Atlanta Falcons. Des had some good moments. Like yeah. there were some times where it was like, okay, he's figuring this out. Yes, yeah, so and then he would fumble at the two yard line yeah. or throw a pick in the end zone or just like, like he couldn't get out of his own way. Yeah, right. I'm sure bringing in feel bringing in Taylor Heineke uh, really assisted with his development there too. Yeah, great uh, idea. Tyrod Taylor type career. I think if you're Des, uh, you would be thrilled <laughs> to yeah. have Tyrod Taylor's career. Sands the needle in the lung. Uh, yeah, outside of that part. All right, last question. Rapid fire. Best sleeping bags for when you lose power and it's zero degrees out. I'm pretty sure that's a jab at me. Um, it is. But I don't. What do you mean, best sleeping bags? Are you guys like uh, like sleeping bag people? Are you like comforter people? Or are you like uh, we don't have a sleeping bag in this house? 
I sleep warm. Like I need, I only sleep with sheets. Well, I, I mean, like just like on like the couch or like a like a basement type setting. Uh, like a throw, like a you know, like a stadium blanket. I guess they're yeah. called. Okay. I just need a blanket that's big enough. Like I feel like most blankets are too short for me to like burrito up in. Yeah. See, I need like I can't I, if I sleep for like five minutes with blank covers on my legs. Like I kick that that doesn't stay like that for long. Like I said, I sleep hot. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, by the way, Tyrod Taylor net worth ten million dollars. Not bad. I'm sure. Yeah, I think be. you know if if Dez got to the end of the road and had ten million in the bank, he's doing all right. Not bad. Uh, Seinfeld or Friends? Seinfeld. I, I like Friends more than most people do. I think it was funny, but Seinfeld was was outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> is there anyone in this world that is a sleeping bag on the couch person? If so, we need to check that person's brain. I mean, that's why I asked we're talking about it because I'm I'm not. I just didn't know if like. Why would you ask? Because do you know of, anyone that sleeps with a sleeping bag on their couch? I was trying to evolve the question. I mean, I I don't know. I've, he I've does. Never... He, he totally. Aaron. He sleeps with a sleeping bag on the couch. A thousand. I, mean, I don't know. In Florida. If I'm being honest with you, but yeah, uh, in Florida. Oh, in Florida. And that's just so the Gators don't get him out by the pool. That's, that's how. That's how you keep the the geckos and the fire ants away. Is a sleeping bag. <laughs> Good old fire ants. But yeah, I don't know. Um, <sighs> you know, I wasn't a religious watcher of Friends or or Seinfeld. I, I liked certain aspects of both of them. I think they're both funny, but I cannot pick one of the two. I, I don't. You have that's the question. You have to pick one of the two. If I have to pick one, I'll pick Friends. But I, I could be just as well never watching another episode of either one ever. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. All Wars. Day. Was never a big Trekkie. Nope. Big Jar Jar and... Binks and Darth Maul guy. No, uh, Luke, Leia, Han Solo, right. Chewbacca, Yoda, OGs. The OGs. All the, all the above. The OGs. Yeah, I'm I'm a big uh, Bubba Fat guy. Boba Fat. There we go. Boba, Bubba Fat. He called him Bubba Fat. He called him Bubba, Bubba Fat. Why did he make him Bubba Sparks? <laughs> <laughs> I ain't choose to rhyme. Oh, Rhyming chose oh, me. Oh. <laughs> We're gonna. Um, look, I'm hitting up. I'm hitting up Mike tomorrow at uh at five one three shirts, and we're doing a picture with Brent's face, and it's just gonna say Bubba Fat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll put the Mandalorian like gear on you, but it'll be your silhouette, and like okay. we'll come up with your own Mandalorian gear. And we'll call it Bubba Fat. Uh, the BBP Bubba is Fat redoing is your neighbor in Florida. The the classic, The Godfather, and the Sons are going to be recast by the BBP team. Who plays Sonny, Michael, Tom Hagen, and Fredo? Fredo. I think it's Fredo. I don't, I'm not a movie guy. I, I've seen it. I don't. I, this is for I've you guys. I've watched the trilogy, but it's probably been. I, I bought the trilogy even, and uh, one of my friends borrowed it a long time ago, and I've never seen 
said trilogy. I, I think he <laughs> probably, probably lost it in his divorce at some point as well. So you don't know that I'm going to be getting. That she back. took the Godfather trilogy. Look, I, I I don't. That's a. I don't. That's. I don't know, man. It was I'm not talking about my divorce. I'm talking about his divorce. No, I know. You, if she took the like, what do you want? And you got the lawyers there, and she's like, I want the Godfather trilogy. That's just trying to disrespect you. I'm just saying. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, I you guys, who got there? I don't, it's been a long time since I've seen those movies, is the point that I was trying to make. Uh, I mean, they, I don't think that that the BBP can be all the brothers. I, I I think Chad would would be you know Vito the Don, right. start everything. Um, I think uh, I I don't know. I, it's it's hard because if you guys haven't seen it or like know that much about it, then well, would, would Keegan be Sonny, <laughs> the youngest? No, Sonny's the oldest. Which one's which one's uh, Pacino? Sonny's the oldest. Then, well, the ones that he, Tom Hagen's the guy that's the lawyer, like gets him out of a lot of trouble. I think that would probably be Sonny. Sonny's the dominant one. Frito's the inspiring one. Michael's the supportive one. Tom is the cautious one. Brent's I mean, I, Tom. You know, <laughs> the 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 description for Sonny is assertive, action oriented, and does things quickly. Uh, I think that would be me. Uh, you're done. That? You're done. Well, but he's asking about which he's of the sons about the we brother. are. Mm. The, the brothers we are. Fredo is fun loving, lighthearted, emotional, and seeks approval. Uh, I think that's pretty easy, Aaron. Yep. <laughs> and then Michael is patient, non-confrontational, and likes routine. That's Keegan. And then Brent. Keegan's is not part Tom. of the BBP, though. Well, then. Uh, Royer. Yeah. Royer does like. Yeah, I'd say that's Royer. Likes routine, non-confrontational. I don't know that he's patient. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know that Michael would stick his head in a fan. These character descriptions, I'm pretty sure Chad is just reading horoscopes. Well played, Thrifty Walrus. <laughs> I feel like it, it took it took Thrifty Walrus the whole show to get on a roll, but now he's on a roll. And then the show's over. <laughs> this What's is what happened. description for, for Tom Hagen. I want to hear this. <laughs> I already read it. What? What was? I just closed the window. Oh, okay. All right, get us out of here, Brent. Well, hey, you know, Bubba Pat, get us out of here. <laughs> hey, we figured it out. We got it done. But hey, you know what? Shouts to our good guy, Nico Palazzetti. That was a lot of fun having him on, um, you know, on this Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, night here on the BBP yet again. Shouts to Dan Co. Transmission and Auto Care. Look at, look at that. Dan Co. Joe. Why Big can't I change his name to Bubba Fat? Ridiculous. Hey, I don't know how could do it. Uh, big shouts to uh, Quick Paper Supply, um, and of course, big shouts as always to uh, to my boys, my guys. Big, I, I think this is the biggest weekend. I, I mean, week of of Bearcats basketball that I it, it's massive. 
win these two games, yeah. you're you're in the driver's seat to return to the NCAA tournament. Um, lose both, you're behind the eight ball. Got got to figure things out. Win one of two, you're still you're still biting your way through. But uh, they've shown things. Just got to pull out wins. Two two big chances start tomorrow night. TCU, seven p.m. Fifth Third Arena. Come early. Be loud. Be loud. Come on. But uh, my broadcast guys, my my partners, my pals, my your my voice family. sounds worse than mine. What's happening? My family. You're fading. Oh, someone changed it. Who did that? Did you do that, Aaron? There you go. I think Aaron did. There it. you go. I like the two T's too. That's very Star Wars of you. Hold on, let's go with the second T. I'm gonna get some cheese. I'll come back and eat that too. <laughs> but anyway, for my guys, my pals, my brothers, Aaron Smith and Chad Brendle, I am Brent Young. Yet another fantastic BVP presented by BearcatJournal.com. See ya.